Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the show. Uh, we're, you know, I, I, I like, I relish the idea of a thunderstorm. I just hope it doesn't knock out our power. Um, see, there's a good one. Ooh. Um, yeah. So, uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, Michelle, obviously, you, I'm sure you recognize that uh, little clip I played there. Uh, from oh the yeah. Night of the Living Dead. Um, and, uh, that's gonna lead us into what we're talking about here in a minute, but before we get to that, uh, uh, welcome back to the show, uh, Joe Santorsa, you're gonna be talking about... The zombie? About... Yeah. Oh, yes, go ahead. Oh, you're gonna be talking about a, a legend of, uh, a comedy later on the show. Yes, Chevy Chase, one of my favorites. Very cool, very cool. And Miles, you also are going to be uh, uh, regaling us with another uh, story from WW2. Which one would that be? This is about the uh, the Lost Battalion and the story of how they were rescued by the 447th Holy uh, Regimental Combat. I don't know if you guys heard that one. Wow, that was like, a loud yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> I hope the power stays on, buddy. Oh, my gosh. Um, so <laughs> that one, that one made me jump. Um, and of course, uh, maybe that means zombies are rising from the dead, Michelle. Yeah. Um, yeah, they <laughs> might be because, you know, it's Halloween and we have to go with our, 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 our spook, as Mima would say, Mima, the geeky granny on Twitch, she would say the spoopy. I'm going to say spooky, the eerie, and the really, really crazy stuff. So, it's Halloween. Yay! Yeah, very excited, very excited. And uh, so, uh, we're going to do a little something a little different in your favorite month of the year. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I love it. you got background noise. And it's natural. It's lovely. <laughs> Welcome to my castle. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're, so you want to talk, uh, we're going to be a little thematic, uh, on some of our episodes and talk about some classic monster genres and tonight you, uh, oh yeah, we're doing zombies. Very good. So why don't you, uh, set this up and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk. 
right. Um, everybody knows the zombie. The zombie is a slow-moving undead creature. But um, basically, um, the the actual translation of zombie comes from the Haitian Creole zombie. It's a mythological creature created mm -hmm. through animation of a corpse. They're most likely found in horror and fantasy. But the thing is, um, the English word zombie was first recorded in 1819 in, in uh, History of Brazil by the poet Robert Southey. Okay. And it was spelled zombie, Z-O-M-B-I. Um, it gives it, uh, the Oxford English Dictionary gives the word's origin as West African and um, compares it to the Congo words Nzambi, N-Z-A-M-B-I, God, okay. and Zumbai, or Nzambi, fetish. Okay. So it has a very unusual um, background. People, mm -hmm. people aren't sure how they're going to tack it down. But uh, I would like to read you the D&G &D reference for a zombie. Okay, very good. And zombie is just a cool word, but yeah, go for it. Let's yeah, see what D &D yeah it is. Okay, in D&D &D terms, a zombie was an undead creature usually created by the reanimation of a corpse. Unlike animated skeletons, zombies still retained flesh on their bodies and gave off a horrid, rank smell. They were almost always mindless, but could be given simple commands such as kill anyone who opens this treasure chest. Virtually any solid creature could be turned into a zombie, in addition to humanoids, troglodytes, minotaurs, ogres, and even beholders could be turned into zombies. And here is a fun quote by Larissa. Larissa is an, an intelligent undead. Mm. And her quote is, the realm should be far more friendlier to the undead if we learn to exercise greater control over our culinary habits. I fear most of us are beyond reasoning, though. If you can go three mounds from a zombie, you can consider it a good conversation. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, so that's the D&D &D version of a zombie. Um, yeah, they, they, they've come from um, folklore, from uh, voodoo ceremonies. But the first movie that we actually have zombies in, as far as I'm concerned, is mm -hmm. 1932's White Zombie. Starring my one of my favorites, Bella Lugosi. You want me to run it now? Sure. All right. From Haiti, land of the voodoo, comes the most infamous cult of all. Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I see death. Master of the undead damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombies? Yes, they are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. His instruments of terror, and now this fiend plots to possess a woman. Only a pinpoint, a silver 
Keep it, monsieur. Keep it. You may change your mind. Not dead? Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed a certificate. I saw them bury her. Captive in the borderland between life and death. Her brain drained of the life spark. The white zombie obeys the unholy commands of her demon master. As mindless creatures carry out his cursed will, terror explodes in horror and heartquake. Never eyes so evil, never powers so potent, never magic so black, Bela Dracula Lugosi, as the master of the white zombie. Rob Zombie named a band after that movie. Yeah, and I, I love the movie. It's very classic. It's very uh, atmospheric. Mm-hmm. And I, the, the, as far as I'm concerned, that's the first zombie movie ever. I think a lot of people would agree with you. Um, uh, especially for at least for you know uh, uh, speaking films you know you know talkies um for right. sure I, I i can't think of anything earlier than that i'm sure there was probably something like you know with voodoo spells and you know like the the stereotypes that they would use you know some of that stuff didn't age real well you know yeah even white zombie doesn't really i mean it does have a lot of really stereotypical stuff in it mm-hmm. but it's 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 a classic genre, and it, it, that's where the zombie originated. An yeah. animated corpse. Uh, yeah, you have folklore and stuff like that, and 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 written stuff earlier than that. But this is the first time it showed up in movies. You scared Tennessee? You scared of the thunder? He just came up and went. <laughs> so go rewind your podcast. Uh, you'll hear him. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, you know, and and uh, the the movie is, you know, I, it really I like the fact that they they're like, okay, we we're leaning into Dra- you know, Bella Dracula Lugosi too to like push the film as a you know, um, like the kind of a early formulaic horror movie, you know, right. So so it it has a, a lot of um, you know gravitas as a film because it did kind of help propel the trajectory of where we are with like modern horror you know through yeah, the and it, it, it's a standard trope too you know a, a a a boy and a girl fall in love somebody else is jealous about that boy and girl falling in love he wants a girl so he uh, approaches this you know bad guy to get the girl <laughs> yeah that's the way it is oh yeah so, and this is a classic. I, I used to own this uh, on VHS, um, and uh, I, I, I'm surprised I still don't have it. 
honest to God, because I don't typically get rid of <laughs> stuff like that. And I didn't have a ton of VHS tapes, so... Um, but no, it was, it was a great, you know, this is one of those movies you could find at, you know, the dollar store, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I just have warm fuzzies about putting this on late at night and, you know, watching it, uh, with friends, watching it around Halloween, whatever. Um, you know, cause we would all try and find, you know, you know, we, we just had a love of old films and, and you know, and stuff that was coming out at the time too. So uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, I, I think maybe our generation might be one of the last that doesn't find everything that, you know, is black and white or before, you know, 1980 is completely disposable, you know? Yeah. And, and, and they're going to think that. So that's why we're trying to educate the youngsters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I don't want to stereotype an you know entire you know because there are obviously a lot of a lot of younger folks out there who really like you know old technology and old films and stuff like that. But you know, there are a lot of you know. There, I was just watching uh, just a, a, on AMC the other day. There was a a little uh, uh, featurette about silent films, and you know there were a lot of younger people on there you know who were historians, film historians and stuff. You know, talking about the value of silent films and you know how it's it's just silly how many people will write off a movie like you know silent films or black and white films so yeah um i i will tell you something else um uh, we had a nephew come up we had not seen this nephew since he was a a toddler mm -hmm. and he's in his tw early 20s now hon how old's kenny yeah no yes He's in his early 20s, and he thinks he's a horror aficionado. Yeah. And I asked him, who who was Vincent Price? He said, who? Oh! <laughs> like it, I remember! <laughs> yeah, so his aunt is not happy at this point. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, so, uh, that's, yeah, that, that's a, that's a cardinal sin in, uh, yeah. in the rogue DM world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or classic horror. If you are a horror person, you have to know who Vincent Price is. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's gonna leave a mark. It is. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. so, so that's he, he will be educated. Next time he comes up, I'm going to subject him to Vincent Price films. So well, there you go. You're absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more. There you go. I, I agree. All right. That. So, yeah, we're getting off, off uh, tangent here. So, um, yeah, White Zombie is the first um, major film, I think, that uh, zombies appeared in. Start, it, it, so, it started it all. It, it, it was yeah. the first movie with zombie in the title. Uh, so there you go. So we progress. You know, zombies at times, you have Night of the Living Dead where they're slow moving zombies, but I want to go back to the more voodoo type because the voodoo type zombies also progressed because you, the voodoo zombies have been, they, they've been scientifically explained by creating a toxin of the, the, the blowfish mm -hmm. and a few other little ingredients. They can create like a cataleptic response into a person. Yeah. And that's why The Serpent and the Rainbow by Wes Craven was so important to me. From Wes Craven, director of A Nightmare on Elm Street. 
is a story of the forbidden world between life and death. There's a door to the mystical. And you just walk through it. Somebody brought him back from the grave. And I want to know how they did it. Death is not the end. I'll take your soul. You think you can take these people's secrets and just walk away? In the shadows of the imagination lies the ultimate nightmare. Don't let them bury me. I'm not dead. The Serpent and the Rainbow. Damn. Yeah, uh, what's cool about that film is it didn't go to the traditional zombies from Night of the Living Dead or, mm-hmm. you know, it went to the actual Haiti zombie again. The zombie that was raised by a bokeur after, you know, it could either be an ingestion of a, of a certain substance via the nose or, you know, uh, sinus cavities, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Joe, have you ever seen that movie? I have not. Okay. Add that to your never-ending list. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. actually not bad. Um, no, it's it's a great movie, and what a wonderful title too, "The Serpent and the Rainbow." You know. Yeah, because of the both both of those uh, topics feature heavy in the voodoo lore as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the yeah. serpent, you know, being the loa. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, but another great classic. I mean, you know, the eight. There were so many good, um, you know, movies. But you know, with what Wes Craven was involved in in the eighties, and uh, was this eighties or nineties? Serpent and the Rainbow. Uh, eighty-eight. Okay. So yeah. Uh, late, you know, mid eighties to the, to the mid nineties, there was a lot of really, really quality horror, you know, uh, that was being pumped out. And, you know, it's nice that, you know, again, he didn't go with, you know, the, the other zombies that were more prevalent, uh, which we were talking about next. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, so there you go. Uh, but no, that's, um, uh, you know, um, yeah, but I'm I'm looking right here, Michelle, and and, and it does say 1932 white zombies uh, was is is mostly cited as the first zombie movie. Oh, very good, because I was I was thought that it's a great movie. I love it to death. Yeah. So, uh, but no, Serpent and the Rainbow, a really really high quality film. Uh, you know that, and you know I rank that up there with like Lair of the White Worm too, because it's got some fun weirdness to it as well. You know. Yeah, it does, and uh, it was uh, I'm bad with actors' names. Lisa Bonet. Yeah, she was. Uh, yes, yeah. she was in that show named after a guy who shouldn't should still be in prison. Um, yes, he so. should. Be. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but yeah, that no great great cast, great film, uh, and um, it uh, yeah that that I, I to- and I totally forgot about it. 
Well, the thing I like about it is it goes back to the Haitian, the the the, the voodoo zombie, mm-hmm. because in the in the seventies we have Night of the Living Dead, and then in nineteen eighty five we have what I I I love Night of the Living Dead, but Return of the Living Dead it just spoke to me because of the punk rock aspect of it, and they carried it to the next level. And I love that. And this is where zombies are not so slow anymore. They're actually becoming a little faster, a little bit meaner, a little bit more Mm -hmm. intelligent, you would say. Uh, Real quick, no, uh, Lisa Bonet was not in in that, uh, in Serpent and the Rainbow. It was uh, Kathy Tyson and Bill Pullman and Paul Paul Winfield were also in it. So it had, I mean, Bill Pullman, that's pretty top-notch uh Hell yeah. billing for you know 88 um but uh but yeah so but you know moving right along yeah return of the living dead that, that my friends and i we adore this movie so here you go oh yeah in the dark of the night something strange is going on Night of the Living Dead. Sure. They ship those bodies. Well, say hello. The dead have risen from the grave. Mister, there's a hundred of those things out there. How many did you say? A hundred? And now the question is, how do we get them back into the ground? Frank, we have a little problem. Boiler! Because technically, you're not alive. Why do you eat people? Not people. Brains. Ah! How do you kill something that's already dead? Well, how do I know, Fred? I don't know. Let me think. It's not a bad question, Bert. In that movie, they destroyed the brain to kill him. Is that what they did? The brains, right. Brains. Military is nervous. Usual crap. The police are confused. Send more cops. It worked in the movie. Well, it ain't working now. In the movie line. It's not a bad question, Bert. It's not a bad question, Bert. It's not a bad question, Bert. The return of the living dead. There you go. 
Yeah, yeah, s- I love send that movie. More cops. Send more cops. That made me laugh so hard when I first yes, saw it. Yes, and especially with with the way it was framed. You know, just a, that little undead guy just like reading, leaning over, and yeah. Yeah, that was that was classic. So, but you know, and and what I liked about this movie is um, it references Night of the Living Dead. And it, yes. it basically says it's based on, you know, they say in the context of the movie, that's that movie's based on real events. And, right. you know, so I love that it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, just expanding on the mythos, but being something completely different. And, you know, uh, and still, but still like kind of like, you know, a cousin of the Night of the Living Dead, you know, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Right. And it went more on the comedic value where the first one was a lot more darker, a lot more of a social commentary. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there wasn't a lot of humor in any of the Romero uh, uh, movies. I think Day of the Dead with Bub was probably the. uh yes. You know, probably the the most humorous kind kind of stuff. So, <laughs> um, but no, great, great movie, great visuals, great. You know, that's a great. Uh, oh, look at that! For, there was a there was a video game. There was what? There's no. Yes, way there was. There yeah, was. Yep. Oh my god! I need that. Oh my god! I'm gonna go price that on eBay. <laughs> Do you have an early Nintendo like that? Uh, yeah, I have a toaster. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a, it plays right. NES and SNES. So, uh, uh, no, that's that's hysterical. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm glad you picked this one because this is a real Halloween favorite of mine. Yeah, I could have gone with the, the the Night of Living Dead, but we've already covered the Voodoo Zombies, and they're pretty close to what how shambling slow creatures that the uh, night living dead had but return of living dead is where they started getting fast and this is when they injected the humor and the the intelligence into them which made it all so much more creepy mm-hmm. yeah because yeah, it, it's just and it's funny it's the older dead that were more intelligent than the newer dead because if you remember the cadaver that was in hanging in the warehouse that thing wasn't intelligent at all. That was just mindless killing. Mm-hmm. And so were the dogs. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was so crazy. Oh, that split was dogs? So yeah, that was yeah. a creepy thing. Yeah. Joe, I don't recommend this one for you. Or Sharky. Huh. No. Okay. okay. Well, uh, <laughs> it shortens my list a bit. Well, there you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, this, you know, I, I can't think of a, a, a more fun zombie movie than this. Um, and, uh, um, but, uh, well, I'll tell you what, we're, we're getting towards the bottom of the hour. I know you have one other kind of, uh, zombie to talk about. And, uh, and I also have a couple, um, uh, two versions of a movie I want to talk about that fit right, right. into this as well. But you have assembled a uh, trailer block for us of birthday trailers for the week. You want to go ahead and, and regale us with uh, who you picked? Oh, yeah. Um, we put, um, it's just going to sound funny, but it's Truman Capote, September 30th, 1924. That's when he was born. And he was in a movie called Murder by Death, a Neil Simon classic. Classic. Um, 
We also have Jeffrey Jones, September 28th, 1946. And we put, we chose Beetlejuice because, hey, Beetlejuice. And we already played Ed Wood. <laughs> yeah. And um, we have Linda Hamilton, September 26th, 1956. And the only movie that I could even find that was really close to having some fun stuff that we hadn't already covered with Children of the Corn, we have The Terminator. Yes. And, uh, just so in case anybody's interested, I just listed season one of Beauty and the Beast starring Ron Perlman and one Linda Hamilton from 1987, Oot. I think, um, on, uh, on our eBay store. So, <laughs> uh, complete factory sealed DVD set. So that's another, and, you know, George R.R. R. Martin from Game of Thrones wrote some episodes for that show. Yep. So... But anyway, here we go. Looking forward to the trailer break. We'll be right back after this with more zombie action. Brains. I don't feel good about this. There's a number on the wall for all of us, Angel. Neil Simon's Murder by Death. Meanwhile, a short, sinister man who looks exactly like Truman Capote is preparing a diabolical weekend for the greatest detectives in the world. Sidney Wang. Don't I think, Pop? Perfect place for a murder. Conversation like a television set on honeymoon. Unnecessary. Dick and Dora Charleston. Yeah, would you walk my the other way? My leg tends to look like a tree in this fog. Sam Diamond. I think we picked ourselves a queer bird, Angel. Anything else? He has no pinkies. No pinkies? Jimmy Twain has only got eight fingers? No, no, he's got ten. He just doesn't have any pinkies. As we join them, our five clue persons and their faithful companions are trapped in a mysterious old mansion where a fiendishly ingenious crime is about to take place. The victim is here at this very table at this very moment. And so too, ladies and gentlemen, is the murderer. It's most stupid theory I ever heard. <laughs> One of us is a mad killer and not to be trusted. I hope he knows how to stop that thing. Returning to the kitchen... Who are you? The blind butler encounters the dumb cook. Oh, you must be the new kitchen maid. Then what has happened to the butler? The cook! Where's the cook? Two minutes to midnight. Gunshots, monsieur. Gunshots, pop. Gunshots, Sam. Gunshots, Dickie. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I like it, but do not understand it. That can only mean one thing. And I don't know what it is. It means, are these five monumental minds any match for murder by death? Eileen Brennan, Truman Capote, James Coco. Okay. Peter Falk, Alec Guinness, Elsa Lanchester. The murderer is... David Niven. <laughs> Peter Sellers. Maggie Smith. Nancy Walker. Estelle Winwood. And Myron. Who is the one who done it in the number one who done it? Neil 
Simon's new comedy, Murder by Death. Should make exciting weekend. From the director of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Adam and Barbara are... Ghosts. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They're dead. It's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who's no ordinary ghost. Yeah! You don't want his help. Can you be scary? What do you think of this? Now, the party's over. You want somebody out of the house? I want to get somebody out of your house. <laughs> but the fun has just begun. It's showtime. He's guaranteed to put some life Attention, King in your afterlife. Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. This weapon will be powerful, versatile, and indestructible. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It will feel no pity, no remorse, no pain, no fear. It will have only one purpose. To return to the present and prevent the future. This weapon will be called the Terminator. You're dead, honey. What day is it? The date? 12th, May, Thursday. What year? DN38416, assigned to protect you. You've been targeted for termination. Why does it want me? Why me? Arnold Schwarzenegger is... The Terminator. Your future is in its hands. I was looking for a Terminator clip, but I don't have any. <laughs> yeah. I was like, come on, you gotta have I'll Be Back. I'll Be Back. Don't have it. Oh well. Bad show host. Alright, welcome back to uh, some zombie talk here on It Came From Cleveland, episode 24, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. All right. And, uh, of course, uh, Joe, uh, definitely you want to see the serpent in the rainbow, but, you know, for Sharky's sake, stay clear of uh, the, the, the uh, day, or Return of the Living Dead. Correct. 
so. Because of knives? No, uh, because of no. split dogs. Split dogs. <laughs> oh. oh, no. Yeah, they're, they're an anatomical thing used for veterinarian school. It's an awful thing. Oh, yeah. Especially when they become reanimated. It sucks. I'm going to have a split cat here in a second. I got a tux fight going that, like, on. It's like dog cheese? It basically yeah. they, they they took dogs and freeze dried them and split them down the center, and then pickled them. Yeah, and used them for uh, veterinarian school. But yeah, they were they were fake in the movie, okay. so you know, no real dogs. Oh, okay, harm. good, good. There were so. no, as long as there were no collies, we're okay. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And of course, welcome back, Miles. Uh, I have a feeling you probably. Have a, a a penchant for uh or or, or it, it might enjoy the next uh, variety of zombie stuff that we're about to talk about. Cool. So, well, I would assume um because we start getting a little more militaristic uh you know with with this this uh other kind of zombie right Michelle? Yeah, we do because uh in in Return of the Living Dead they started to go in that a- aspect. They started to actually bring the military in as a problem that maybe created zombies, and it doesn't go far from there where you go hit the video game industry with like uh um the Resident Evil franchise where they're starting to to um have the 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 zombie that's created by biological means or, you know, maybe an exposure to a certain chemical. Yes. And then you just start going to the fact that if a certain chemical or certain biological agent gets out into the air, things will go horribly wrong. And we're talking like, you know, uh, nowadays we have modern zombie movies like that from train, train to Busan. Yeah, that's a great and, um, one. Oh, it's an amazing horror flick. But we have World War Z, where the biological infects humans dead, and things just go bad in a rapid, rapid way. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Brad Pitt. We do know it's the aircraft touchdown. Yeah, are these the roots? What is it? Statue of Liberty or Snowman? <laughs> declared martial law. Daddy, what's martial law? How do we know they're coming? They're coming. Worldwide. Is anyone doing better than we are? We've lost the East Coast. Moscow's still dark. Life as we know it will come to an end in 90 days. It's on us to change that. I can't leave my family. Don't pretend your family is exempt. When we talk about the end of humanity. I don't want to leave you. I have to go. I'll keep our kids safe. a memo sent from this installation. Pretty obvious nobody back home bothered to read it. If I could get into Russia, where would I start? Russia is a black hole. I need answers.
guns are half measure. You with the CIA? But they're not with me. Karen. Is there anything left up there? If we knew where this thing started, then maybe we could kill it. I think these things have a weakness. Every human being we save. There's one less to fight. So, yeah, it's been a while since I've yeah. seen that, but it's a great film. Yeah, Miles has seen more of You watch it with me. Um, but, yeah, that's that's when it's... It's when mankind and its irresponsibilities reach a pinnacle. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Science gone wrong. Um, science run amok, I think is part oh. of our opening. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. It's just that thing. It, the zombies are fast. They're not intelligent like they are in Return of the Living Dead. But Return of the Living Dead was more of a comedy. So they made the, the, the zombies a little more intelligent to give it some sort of uh, comedy foil to play off of. Yeah, but, but in, they do actually fight strategically. And, you know, I mean, the classic scene of them making like a, a zombie pyramid to, to get up to the edge of a dam or a wall or. It, oh. it may not be a strategic, but it's more hive mentality, kind of yeah. like ants do. Ants will do the same thing to yeah. stay afloat in water. They'll make yeah. rafts and the ants on the bottom will die. But mm -hmm. it's to keep the colony afloat. Yeah. So, so yeah, so at least, it, uh, you know, instinctively, uh, you know, uh, trying to get to their food sources. Correct. And, and yeah, and they, they, they made use of that mob uh, mentality, that whole ar ant army, that whole hive mentality, because they just, they overcame every obstacle put into their place. Yeah, it's like a tsunami of bodies. Yes, it was. Very so. much so. And so that's where the culmination, the fast zombie and the hive mentality hits. Because Resident Evil touched on it a little bit, but mm -hmm. not so much. Because most of their monsters were just mutations and they, they went kind of random. Yeah. And um, the... Uh, uh, oh, shoot, where did I put those trailers? Um but yeah, the, uh, you know, and, and I don't want to uh, step in this too much, but this actually, you know, when, when I saw you were doing World War Z, it got me, well, you know, it was kind of a coincidence that you were talking about doing this and I had just wa watched a movie, a remake of a film, uh, a George Romero film for a matter for right. that matter. And it, uh, um, and essentially, uh, it's not billed as a zombie movie, but it is a zombie movie. Um, but yes. you know, but if there's anything else you want to add before I get into this, feel free. No, no, no. I, okay. I, I, I pretty much, uh, uh, talked about what I want to talk about because nice. basically that's the, 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 the progression from voodoo to the fast zombie, yeah. you know, plague zombie that we have nowadays. So now this, th this movie was made in 1973. So this was before, uh, Dawn of the Dead. 
and it, it's not part of the the dead you know his dead well i guess he did a quadrilogy because he did land of the dead too right that was also uh so part of his dead series uh before he passed away um but um yeah, Romero did this movie called The Crazies in 1973. And uh, uh, Miles, uh, at the very least, I, I I beg you to watch the remake of this because um, it, this is... Um, I recommend both versions, but the, the military um, uh, aspect to this movie is kind of fascinating. And I think you might you might get a kick out of it. But um, Cool. But we're going to start with uh, the the crazies from 1973. Here's the trailer for that. No real big cast uh, or anything, uh, but uh, this is uh, the trailer, and, and then I'll talk to you a little bit about it, and, and then we'll get to the remake trailer. We never thought it would happen. Nobody gets in or out of that town now. Is that clear? The girl just died. How do you intend to let the people know about all this? We were asleep. Well, they dragged us right out of the house. Are we under martial law? Don't talk to me or anybody else unless you get a voice print check. All hell's broke loose in town. Nobody knows what's going on. Now look, you just can't push us around this way. We've got to get a nuclear weapon in the air above that town. And what the hell's going on, Sheriff? You know what I do, boy. Let's go. I taken me no push. They started something they can't stop. The crazies. There's something that dements. Something that inflames. Something that brutalizes. It's madness unleashed by human error. The crazies. Can they tame it before time runs out? I'm a key man on the Christmas team. A key man! I'm one of the developers of that goddamn thing! Now, if you want me to get the job done, you get me the stuff I need, and you get it the hell in there before the morning's over! A small town becomes a giant stockade. Evan City must be contained or leveled. We're all concerned with Evan City, Mr. Hawks. If we have to push the button, we just say the... Weapon went off. Get me the president. Three thousand six hundred and fourteen people are trapped by an unknown enemy. Five are on the run. Can they escape the spreading fury of the crazies? You can make it. I know it. Stop it! Stop it! They're coming, David! David, they're coming. Don't move. we got to get out of here. Jesus, man. And I want a weapon search for the entire town. Watch it, Bucky! This is exactly the kind of thing we're trying to prevent! A lethal terror snowballs into hell. In there! Madness runs rampant. We'll dope it out. Sooner or later. Sooner or later. The crazy.
Okay, so uh, this the original film, um, it, it's done really well. But obviously, the budget constraints for it made it, it, it looked kind of cheap. Um, and, you know, there was no, there were no big major cast members. But, of course, George Romero never really cared about having a big star in any of his, his you know, his major films. You know, I mean, uh, Laurie Cardell, who was in uh, Day of the Dead, was the daughter of Bill Cardell, who was the TV guy in, um... The original Night of the Living Dead, who was also the Pittsburgh horror host, Chili Billy Cardilly. So, you know, he he's kind of stuck locally because, you know, he, he grew up in the Pittsburgh area. So, uh, you know, why go bother getting a Hollywood star when you can get one downtown or go over to Monroeville Mall and pick one up? You know, <laughs> so. Yes. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I really love this movie. It was given to me by a friend years ago. I'm actually selling my original VHS copy on uh, our eBay store, of course. Um, and um, but I was I was flipping through channels the other night. And, of course, TV right now is so great. You know, broadcast TV is so great right now because it's it's a wash with horror movies. The weekends they're on AMC. They're playing all the Halloween movies, so I'm like getting my brushing up on the ones that I didn't see. You know, some of them aren't worth it, but I'm still watching them anyway. I just put them on and do some busy work. Uh, but I was I saw that you know coming up on whatever channel I was watching the other night, the Crazies, and I was like the Crazies. I'm like, there's no way it's it's the Crazies, you know, from 1973, and I'm like. And I was thinking, I don't think there's any way that it's... I was like, nobody remade that movie, right? I never heard oh, of a remake Oh, you're wrong. <laughs> and I was 100% wrong. And I will tell you what. This is one of those rare instances where I think this sequel might be superior in many ways to the original. Um, and the, 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 the concept of the film, you might have gotten a little bit from this. This is very much uh, on, you know, the kind of... Zombies from World War Z, uh, you know, it's it's a you know a manufactured crisis. But what's really fascinating about this is who the enemy is throughout the film. It changes, you know, because there are uh, there's the the main characters in the remake. Timothy Oliphant plays the town sheriff. He's married to the town doctor. Uh, his deputy is there, and a few other people. Well. What happens in, uh, you know, pretty early on in, in the opening scene of the movie is one of the townsfolk shows up um, on the, uh, the, the Little League field for opening day um, and uh, he has a shotgun. And he's pointing at it, uh, you know, uh, he's, you know, and so everybody's running around and goes crazy and, you know, uh, but then he approached the sheriff approaches him and he pulls a shotgun on him and the, the sheriff is forced to shoot him. You will hear a little bit of that scene in the trailer, but it, let me play this and then we'll, I'll elaborate some more. I don't care what the calendar says. Opening day. That's the first day of spring. What the hell are you doing? Rory, you lay that gun down. David, you did the right thing. Would you mind taking a look at Bill? Sure, what's wrong? I don't know, he's just not right. 
cars too much. I'm fine. You got any plans this weekend? She worries too much. I'm fine. Hey, Ben. Ben. What's Dad doing? He has a knife. been playing a statue. A couple hours now. Same look Rory gave me. We're in trouble. Is he dead? David, there's somebody outside. Military started shooting town folk. We gotta get out of here, guys! You don't know that. It's okay, I'm not sick! Oh my God. This is a fantastic remake, and yes. it it is so so absolutely good. And the the performances in it are great. It has a little bit of something for everybody. It is a very nerve wracking movie. So if movies make you nervous and they're tense, because it's fast moving, in in how the plot develops in this, and it's just like it's like boom 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 one thing after another. So I love that kind of movie because it keeps me on the edge of my seat. But uh, it, it starts off r real quick, you know, a whole bunch of cases uh, in, in the town. start. People start acting weird, uh, you know, killing their families, uh, trying, you know, attacking strangers and everything. And, um, and the next thing you know, there is a very heavy military presence that shows up. And they start rounding people up and they're putting them in, uh, in cages and uh, quarantining people and even killing people that they believe to have this disease that is causing people to become the crazies. I think they're zombies. I don't see how they're any different than zombies. Um, they uh, eventually lose their ability to speak and, you know, but they can still use weapons and things like that, but that's not unheard of in a zombie movie. Um, no, they don't go after brains or anything like that, but they, they just kill and infect others. Uh, and, and there are, there's degrees of the, of the disease too, as you see how people are acting in the movies, in the movie rather. Um, but, uh, what, what's really, I thought was kind of funny about the movie is that this movie plays out like what half of our society was saying was going to happen when we got COVID in the United States. This is right. the this is what they you know if you if you look at uh, everything that we've done over the last year uh, and year and a half uh, or well almost two years now with COVID uh, you know we we 
we've kept things under control. People have been smart, but there's this whole segment of society who will remain unnamed in, you know, categorization or anything that basically said the, everything in this movie that happened was was happening or going to happen, you know, and it yeah. didn't. And it didn't. So this, uh, you know, uh, so so I say for the crazies, well, the, those people who thought this was going to happen, they're the crazies, really. But, uh, you know, it, it's... And, uh, Miles, I think you might get a kick out of it just for, like, military operations gone wrong and how how bad they, they foobarred things on multiple levels. And, um, and, and, and kind of the, the cold calculation of the military in the movie as well. Yeah. The military is pretty famous for that. Yeah. So, um, but, and, and Joe, I don't know if you like nail biters, but this one, this one's got a little bit of everything in it. And let me tell you, when you get to the scene in the morgue of this movie, holy <laughs> crap. Really? Yeah, it's so my nails good. need cutting, so maybe this is a good time to watch it. Well, there you go, there you go. Well, let let me just say, um, the the fur Michelle, I don't want to spoil this, but the one of the best payoffs ever in a movie was in the the morgue scene where he finds yeah. the guy who's alive and then does something so he can speak. In the first words he says, I don't want to say what the first words he says are, yeah. but that was so incredible. I was like, oh my God, that was so good and so clever. And uh, yeah, and let me just say, uh, don't let Sharky near bone saws either, Joe. <laughs> He's not allowed near anything with a with an edge on it. <laughs> Very good. So yeah, I, yep. I, I this, uh, but Michelle, any any thoughts on uh, the crazies? Uh, amazing flicks. Um, I actually, I like both of them. So, you know, I like Romero mm-hmm. and you know, the remake didn't disappoint either. I was happy no. with it. So. No, I, I think um, that the, just the, you know, they did a really good job staying true to it and then kind of moved it in a few different directions that the budget would allow that made it more dynamic. Well, plus the effects allowed it too. Mm-hmm. They came a long way. Oh, for sure. For sure. But Romero didn't hold back on the flamethrowers. <laughs> no. So, but but also, um, as a, a different genre, not a different genre, but it's a zombie movie. If you've never seen Train from Busan, please do. It's it's a foreign language flick. Yeah, you're gonna have to read subtitles. But oh my god, the the way the Asian culture dealt with the zombie apocalypse worked so beautifully and all i can say is just don't expect a happy ending but don't expect it to be as bad as you think it could be no there you go there you go and honestly you'll be reading subtitles but they they, it moves so fast you're not gonna be reading that many you're gonna know what's going on you don't have to really read it there's (laughs) not much dialogue you have to worry about missing yeah you know i mean pay attention in what few slow parts there are that's all (laughs) so um, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, great stuff, great recommendations, but all right, well, it is time to go to the break and I thought, uh, why not go ahead and, uh, recycle them? Um, let's, uh, play, uh, more Elvira, uh, commercials. What? So, uh, in celebration of Michelle getting her Elvira book, her hardcover. It's a great book. Oh my God. She has such an amazing life. So rich. It's so tragic in some points, but I'm so glad she is who she is. Yeah. 
Yeah, me too. So, uh, and there's some glorious color photos. Yes, Vincent Price and Elvira. You can't, nice. you cannot miss that. That's amazing. Very cool. All right, well, we'll be right back with more. Joe's going to talk about Chevy Chase when we return. Wanna go psycho with me, Elvira, here at the Bates Motel? Look for me wherever they sell mug root beer. And enter the Go Psycho with Elvira contest. You can be my guest at Universal Studios in Hollywood for a monstrous bash at the Bates Motel. Shower anyone? This Halloween, go psycho with Elvira and win a party with mug root beer and me. I love my mug. I love it. Wanna go psycho with me, Elvira, here at the Bates Motel? You will be my guest at Universal Studios in Hollywood for a monstrous bash at the Bates Motel. Shower anyone? <laughs> this Halloween, go psycho with Elvira and win a party with me at Slice. Slice! I just love that name. There's this weird guy on Channel 9 this fall, and I guarantee he'll give you nightmares. His name is Freddy something or other, but immediately following Freddy, I'm back. Now, if I'm Mistress of the Dark, and Freddy's gonna give you nightmares, I would think twice before falling asleep Saturday night. Remember, don't miss a nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Nightmare, and me, Elvira, Saturdays beginning at 10 p.m., nowhere else but Channel 9. Elvira's Movie Macabre, tonight at 11. You know what a teaser is, darling? No? Well, let me, Elvira, give you an example. You can win a thousand bucks in the Coors Light Spring Green Sweepstakes. When I give you this phone number, dial it. And if you're the 50th caller, voila, you win. But I ain't giving it to you just yet. Find out when at this Coors and Coors Light display. And that, darling, is a teaser. I'd give you another one, but I'm not that kind of girl. So, nobody's perfect. Nasty weather got some little monsters uptight. Make it a blockbuster night. Blockbuster has something for everyone. Even the fussiest little beasts settle down to enjoy blockbuster. I just love a family night. If the weather's a fright, make it a blockbuster night. Hello, darling. Elvira here. I don't know what you're doing right now, but if you're doing it near a phone, dial 1-800-MEGABUCKS, because the 50th caller is going to win a thousand bucks in the Coors Light Spring Green Sweepstakes. Feel lucky? Give me a call. Me, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I mean, here I am, stocking up for Halloween. I got my steaks, got my ribs. Then when I ask the stock boy where the Coors Light is at, he points me to the Coors and Coors Light Halloween display, and I'm on it. <laughs> Whoa, it's like deja vu. Whoa, it's like deja vu. <laughs> Look for it where you buy beer. I shop here because they slash prices. There goes another one. Happy Halloween, darling. Elvira here, back with a helping hand for Halloween. Coors Light, it's the official beer of Halloween. And just what an adult party needs to be a howling success. <gasps> what? You don't believe me? What do you need, like a sign from above? <laughs> Be sure to visit this display wherever you buy Coors Light. And it's just perfect for when friends drop in. See what I mean? Hi, darling. It's me, Elvira. 
survivors are telling you that without Coors and Coors Light this Halloween, your friends will get ugly without their masks. So stock up where you see this display. I shop here because they slash prices. Happy Halloween. Elvira here, mistress of the dark and sometimes surfer babe, because Coors Light is the official beer of Halloween and the party's at the beach, Malibu Beach, where you can hang ten. Look, Frankie and Annette. And of course, when it's time to chill, just reach for that cooler of Coors Light. Aged, ice cold, never frozen stiff. It's the right beer now for Halloween. Just look for the Silver Bullet Smooth Display and dig up your friends now for a party at the beach. Happy Halloween. Going to be a good night. Cleveland, Ohio. The real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish unterior. Something evil. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking... Not recommended for impressionable children. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I had to laugh at that one. That's great. Yes. And, of course, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Michelle, for uh, all the zombie goodness for one of our uh, Halloween shows here. Very excited. Oh, yeah. Next week will just be just as fun. Yep, yep. Different creatures for a different show. Yep. Very excited. And, of course, welcome back, Miles. Uh, looking forward to uh, the, the Lost Battalion. Correct. Yes, and they're rescued by the 442nd uh, Combat Regimental Unit. All right, all right, very good. That's a pretty horrific story in and of itself, uh, you know, losing an entire battalion, right? Um, and their harrowing rescue, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, and of course, Joe, welcome back to you. You, uh, we, we had a, a birthday this week that uh, piqued your interest. And uh, oh. we're, yes, Michelle? Can, can I say we have another birthday this week? Oh, that's right. Miles' birthday was yesterday. Ooh, happy birthday, Happy Miles. birthday. Thank you. So, hope you had a great day. Yep, yeah, it was good. I mean, I, I didn't take it off of work, so, you know. But Well, you got the weekend. I always used to just do my birthday on the, you know, when I was working, I used to do my birthday the, the weekend following or weekend before, whatever was closest. Yeah, holding true to the day doesn't really matter at this age. Yeah, but he got some cool T-shirts, so there you go. Oh, very nice, very nice. You got a favorite from the lot? Uh the uh, I like the water dragon one. Oh, that sounds fun. We need a pick. So, um, very cool. So, but uh, anyway, let's we we gotta get into this right now. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, Chevy Chase, Joe, uh, Ed mm -hmm. lay it on us, Edward. Edward Tinsley. Ned really? Chase. <laughs> yes. Edward oh. Tinsley, Ned Chase. Yes. Okay. Um, that was his... Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was his uh, his dad. And um, he was a Princeton-educated book editor and a magazine writer. 
I want you to know, Chevy Chase did not come from a middle-income family. <laughs> this was a uh, quite a quite a family he came from. His well mother was named Kathleen Parker, and was a concert pianist and a librettist. Oh, wow! Yes, and her father was chief of staff to Admiral Raymond Spruance Miles. This is up your alley. Aboard the aircraft carrier USS Enterprise, CV-6, at the Battle of Midway in World War II. Oh, wow. So he he comes from quite a family. Now, before he became famous, he worked as a cab driver, truck driver, motorcycle messenger, construction worker, waiter, busboy, fruit picker, Produce manager in a supermarket, audio engineer, salesman in a wine store, and a theater usher. Well, it sounded like a litany of things, he, uh, names he would call somebody. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and we'll get to that clip. But Wait I figured we'd give you a rundown on who this guy is first, and then we'll play some of my favorite clips from his movies. There you go. Let's see. He, he played drums with a college bland, band called The Leather Canary. Which is what my nickname was in high school. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Headed by uh, school friends Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. Oh, Donald Chase Fagan Ed- from uh, Steely Dan, right? Steely Dan, that's right. Uh, he's called the group a bad jazz band. Becker and Fager, Fagan later founded, as you said, the successful group. Steely Dan. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. He has, but he is blessed with, now you know Freddie Mercury with his perfect, perfect uh, pitch in his voice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chase has what they call absolute pitch. He can okay. actually sing a song, sing a, a note on command without a, a, a prompt. Huh. Like a musical prompt. Yes. And I can't I say I've ever heard him sing. Oh, really? You never saw um, Call Me Al? <laughs> you never saw that video? Yeah, he was in the video. I didn't know he sang in that. Yeah, well, I think yeah. he lip-synced. I think he lip-synced. Um, he played drums and keyboard for a rock, a rock band, Chameleon Church. Which is my another nickname of mine. I'd <laughs> like that name. <laughs> to, to you, and it was they recorded an album for MGM Records. Uh, the album uh, to give the album a more soft rock sound. Producer Alan Lorber made several alterations in the mixing, including muting of Chase's bass drum. And Chase was reportedly incensed when he heard oh. the final mix. I'd be pissy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. Now, he made the move to comedy as a full-time career in 73 when he became a writer and cast member of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. You're all a fan of that, right? Yeah, I've heard I've heard some of it. Love it. Yeah, good stuff. A syndicated satirical radio series. And the National Lampoon Radio Hour featured John Belushi, Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, and Brian Doyle Murray, who became what? They're not ready for primetime players. That's right. And that actually, that that was, uh, I, I talked about, 
oh gosh, that movie a while ago that I recommended on the show that was about uh, National Lampoon, the founding of National Lampoon magazine, and they actually showed scenes of the, of the National Lampoon Radio Hour in that. Um, oh, that was that's cool. That's cool. And uh, but yeah, I, I'm gonna try and find the the name of that movie. A futile and well, a futile. A futile yeah, and stupid, a futile, futile and stupid gesture. It was a Netflix original. Oh, okay. So I think I heard of that one. Okay, he was one of the original cast members, of course, of Saturday Night Live. Uh, that began in October 1975. Uh, during the first season, he introduced every show except two. Wow! With live from New York, it's Saturday night, and usually there was a pratfall before that. Mm-hmm. And later he on, on he had that. he was, but not too good because later on in life he had some very severe back problems due to all those pratfalls he took. Oh no! Yes, oh, yeah. he did. In late '76, right in the middle of the second season, he became the first member of the cast to leave. Okay. And starred in several uh, several films, uh, but he said the. The real, real reason he left wasn't for the films, was the <clears throat> reluctance of his girlfriend at the time, Jacqueline Carlin, nothing to, to the comedian, to move to New York. So he moved back to Los Angeles to be with his girlfriend. And you know who replaced him? Bill Murray. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. And uh, But he did make some cameo appearances after that uh, during the second season. Uh he narrowly escaped death by electrocution during the filming of Modern Problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, during that does a not surprise me. <laughs> during, during a sequence. I thought that would have happened during Christmas Vacation. <laughs> you know, but really. Modern Problems was a mess of a set, though, if you look at it. <laughs> well, he said during a sequence in which Chase's character was wearing landing lights as he dreams that he is an airplane. The lights malfunctioned, and an electrical current passed through Chase's arm, back, and neck muscles. The near-death experience caused him to experience a period of deep depression, and his marriage to Jacqueline ended just prior to the start of the filming. So, he had some rough times. Yeah, that film was was a mess. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, he's an, an avid environmentalist, philanthropist, a liberal. (laughs) <laughs> are we surprised and he raised money for the Clintons in the 1990s and John Kerry in 2004 and while filming now this is very interesting because I didn't give you the clip because it was a little too long and we have enough and I don't want to run over but um, in filming uh, an episode of SNL in 1978 he actually got into a fight with Bill Murray in John Belushi's dressing room and I don't oh, mean no an argument. I mean, a fist fight. Uh, mm-hmm. Murray and Chase, uh, their backstage ball took place when Chase returned to the show to host after his exit as a full-time member. Murray reportedly made a derogatory comment about Chase's troubled marriage to Jacqueline, leading Chase to mock Murray's physical appearance. Oh, no. This all happened moments before the show went live. Uh, wow. Jane Curtin, Lorraine Newman, and Gilda Radner all witnessed the incident. And uh, it, 
just this year, Lorraine Newman, in a, a show appearance, noted that it was a very sad and painful and awful thing. She went on to say that I think both of them knew the one thing that could they could say to the other that would hurt the most. And yeah. they incited. Actually, what, uh, what Chevy Chase said during his uh, interview on Sirius Radio was that what happened was that Belushi instigated the whole thing by telling Murray uh, what a, that lies about what, what, what Chase said about Murray, you know, replacing him and everything, mm-hmm. and worked worked Bill Murray up to the point that when Chase came back to host the show, he was all he did was knock on the door of their dressing room. He said Murray got up and charged him. A bull, wow! But what Murray Murray didn't know was that uh, Chevy Chase uh, was a uh, amateur boxer. Oops! So and he was six foot four, so not mm-hmm. to be trifled with. Yeah, he was a tall guy. Especially, yeah, and I think Murray is more my height, which I'm only five seven. So a guy six four, I'm not going to approach. <laughs> you know what I mean? In any way, but nice. So. Uh, that that did happen, but he said they they returned. Uh, this happened in '78, and they got together and reconciled and did Caddyshack. Sure. Uh, a couple of years later, so everything was good. Now, to the important parts, which is the clips. I chose one. A lot of those weekend update clips did not age well. Shall yeah. I say no? <laughs> um. <laughs> So I picked the ones that one that uh, it was pretty funny, and uh, I think everybody will get the joke. So clip one would be a Weekend Update with from Saturday Night News headquarters. This is Weekend Update with Chevy Chase. You under the covers right now? <laughs> Did you shower? <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> I'm Chevy Chase. The top story is, of course, the good news that President Ford is over that week-long bout with that stubborn cold. White House physicians say that after a mild cold of that sort, it will take the president a few days to recover his motor skills fully, citing the period after his last cold when he tied his shoe to his hair blower and inadvertently pardoned Richard Nixon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was... (laughs) He was it was great. I mean, he he was great at Weekend Update. Like I said, some of the jokes um, didn't age well, so I chose not to do many two Weekend Updates. Plus, a lot of them, you know, cut away to Lorraine Newman as a, a reporter on the outside and everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wasn't always Chevy Chase, but he was the original guy. I'm Chevy Chase, and you are not. If you remember yeah. that catchphrase, absolutely. Uh, he. Now, some of my favorite movies, uh, well, Caddyshack. Who didn't love Caddyshack? Great Did anybody stuff. there not love? Great, great, especially the, the Bill Murray part in the, the pool. Classic. And oh, that was a drug-fueled romp, that film was. They say, <laughs> everybody that was there <laughs> claims that. <laughs> Nobody denies it. Um, that, that, anyway, also, that also I, featured heavily in that movie uh, uh, the, that I just mentioned, the... Um, uh, National Lampoon's A Feudal and Stupid Gesture. Good, good. I have to watch that. Yeah, you you, you definitely want to watch this. It's it's great. Yes, yes. 
Well, I picked a short from uh, from Caddyshack where <laughs> where uh, Chevy Chase's uh, character meets uh, oh, what's his name uh, the judge in the locker room, and they have this conversation about um, golfing. That'd be Ted Knight. Ted, that's good. Ted Knight, right? Clip two. All right. There you go. What did you shoot today? Oh, I don't keep score, Judge. Oh, well, how do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. You know, you should play with Dr. Beeper and myself. <laughs> I mean, he's been club champion for three years running, and I'm no slouch myself. <laughs> don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous slouch. <laughs> <laughs> there was one scene I could not find on YouTube where... <laughs> He says he rarely plays like in groups, and they say, "Well, who do you play with?" He says, "Usually, I play with myself." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was just a fast-paced laugh a minute. Bill Murray was so funny in that. I mean, yes. if you, if you have not seen Caddyshack, you shouldn't even say you. Or a movie fan. <laughs> Treat yourself. It's been many years since I've seen it, but I, I, I have seen it. Yes. You, well, you, if you haven't seen it, beat yourself with a wet noodle. Well, now. I used to, it, I, I used to tell ahead. the girls that I worked at a golf shop, a golf pro shop. Mm-hmm. I, I used to tell the girls, you're not a golfer unless you have a gopher uh, a club muff. <laughs> you know, one, one of those club covers that you put on the thing you, you yes. have to have a gopher you have to have a gopher oh, you yeah. have to have a gopher oh yeah <laughs> that poor gopher actually Bill Murray got the worst part of that in but anyway um, now my favorite since it's Halloween what could be closer after Halloween than Christmas and sure. the rest of my clips were from my favorite movie of his a Christmas Vacation, which oh boy, actually occurred, according to what I read, after the Vacation uh, series sort of was fluttering, and they thought it was sort of dead, mm-hmm. and uh, this really brought it back, and was turned out to be the uh, his most memorable role uh, of all the Christmas of all the Vacation uh, films. Well, since this is your favorite uh, movie, Joe, how would how would you like to own ten copies of Christmas Vacation on VHS? <laughs> as as fate would have it, <laughs> because basically you're the worst. Yes, um, I, am. I am. As as fate would have it, um, I have it on streaming permanently. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So. I do. I I actually purchased it from Xfinity. And it's in the cloud for me forever. Very nice. All right. And so, I don't have and I don't have a VHF player. But anyway. All right. At so, the beginning, I can um, tell the, you one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. At the beginning of the uh, of the of the movie, naturally uh, they travel into the woods to pick out the family Christmas tree. And clip three is what happens. Dad. Didn't they invent Christmas tree lots so people wouldn't have to drive all the way out to nowhere and waste a whole Saturday? They invented them, Russ, because people forgot how to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas and are satisfied with scrawny, dead, overpriced trees that have no special meaning. My toes are numb. You see, kids, this is what our forefathers did. I can't feel my leg. 
They walked out into the woods, they picked out that special tree, and they cut it down with their bare hands. Mom, I can't feel my hips. Clark. Yes, honey? Audrey's frozen from the waist down. Uh, it's all part of the experience, honey. There it is. Griswold family Christmas tree. Isn't it a little big? It's not big, it's just full. Dad, that thing wouldn't fit in our yard. Not going in our yard, Russ. It's going in our living room. <sighs> Look at it. It really is beautiful, Clark. Something else, huh, Russ? Yeah, Dad. Isn't it beaut, Audrey? She'll see it later, honey. Her eyes are frozen. <laughs> and for those who may not recognize him, that was Johnny Galecki, who's Russ. The yes. little Johnny Galecki. Always, somebody the, different always played the kids. Yes, yes, yes. He never had the same kids. Later on in the film, he goes shopping. And um, he, he meets up with a fairly good-looking uh, sales lady who gives him the the heats. And that would be lip three. I'm sorry. Four. Lip four. Can I show you something? Oh. I was just uh, smelling. Smiling. I was just blouse, browsing. <laughs> for your wife or your girlfriend? Hmm. What happened? Woof! <laughs> I guess it wouldn't be any. <laughs> wouldn't be the Christmas shopping season if the stores were any less hooter than they are. Harder than they are. Woof! It is warm in here. Well, you have your coat on. Yes. Oh, do I? How did that happen? Because it's cold out. Yes. Yes. It is. It's a bit nipply out. I mean, nippy out. <laughs> I say nipple. <laughs> uh, there is a nip in the air, though. Can I take something out for you? <laughs> I was just, uh, I was just looking at something for my wife. God rest her soul. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh no, no, she's not dead. <laughs> We're just divorced. She's history. And obviously she doesn't wear underwear. <laughs> there are plenty of shopping days left until adulteries, adulthood, which is to say Christmas as a mule, mule log. Not a log. I don't have a log, but I mean, you know. Oh, boy. <laughs> if I had a log, not in the sense that you think I said I did. <laughs> Good golly. Tis the season to be merry. Well, that's my name. No shit. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> That, by the way, the actress was Nicolette Scorsese, and I don't think she is anything to Martin. Um, hmm. But also <laughs> to the uh, to the to that that particular film uh, also featured Mary Louise Dreyfus. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yes, Julia Lu- very, Julia very, Lu- Louis Julia, uh, Julia right, and and she was ve- that is a very funny, uh, very very funny uh, 
scene where <laughs> with her husband in the apartment across from the Griswolds, which could be a nightmare in itself. Oh um, yeah, yeah, especially at Christmas. Uh, now later on, um, his cousin shows up and uh, in his RV. Everybody knows him, oh. and um, so they settle in and they're having a little eggnog and they have this little conversation. Clip five. That's the honey of a tree, Clark. You real? Yeah, yeah. I dug it out of the ground myself. That a fact. Hey, hey, get out of there! Stop! No! No, don't worry about it, Clark. Little tree water ain't gonna hurt him. Before we left, he drank a half a quart of Penn's oil. Boy, <laughs> when he lifted his leg the next morning. <laughs> Eddie, if he drinks the water out of there, the tree's gonna dry up. Come on, out of there. It's not. Out, out, out. You get out of there. Come, get in the kitchen now. Get in the kitchen there and get you something to eat. Go on. He's cute, ain't he? Only problem is he's got a little bit of Mississippi leg hound in him. If the mood catches him right, he'll grab your leg and just go to town. <laughs> you don't want him around if you wear his short pants, if you know what I mean. <laughs> a word of warning, though, if he does lay into you, it's best to just let him finish. Lie back and think of England. <laughs> yes, that's right. And uh, by the way, anybody visiting my house, same goes for Sharky. Anyway, um, <laughs> just let him finish uh, with them. Uh, later on, the conversation goes to uh, Cousin Eddie's kids. Clip six. It's a crying shame the older kids couldn't make it. Yeah, I got the daughter in the clinic getting cured off the wild turkey. And the older boy, bless his soul, is preparing for his career. College? Carnival. Yeah. Gotta be proud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, last season he was a picture dust spreader on a Celtic world. He thinks that maybe next year he'll be guessing people's waiter barking for the yak woman. You ever see her? No. Yeah, she's got these big horns growing right out above her ear. Yeah, she's ugly as sin. But a sweet gal and a hell of a good cook. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere? Leave you for dead? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. Drive you out to nowhere? Leave you for dead? <laughs> and finally, my favorite clip of the whole thing is when he finds out he's not getting his bonus, but he... He got a year-long subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. And this is his reaction. Clark, what's wrong? Honey. <laughs> it's bigger than you expected? <laughs> <laughs> Smaller? <laughs> what is it? It's a, it's a one-year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. <laughs> oh, good. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. That it is indeed. I'm sorry, Clark. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Son.
any of you are looking for any last-minute gift ideas for me, I have one. I like Frank Shirley, my boss, right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there in Melody Lane with all the other rich people. And I want him brought right here with a big ribbon on his head. And I want to look him straight in the eye and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is. Hallelujah. Holy shit. Where's the Tylenol? <laughs> One of the greatest screeds of movie history. It truly Where is. Where's the Tylenol? Yep. Yeah, and later Cousin Eddie delivers Mr. Shirley, played by Brian Doyle Murray, with a ribbon on his head. So, if you haven't seen this film, put it on your number one Christmas list. There you go. There you go. Yes. So, all right, we good to go to break. Uh, so we can, uh, uh, and Miles, don't worry, I'll give you extra time if you need it. We'll cut into uh, hour three if need be. Cool, so. cool. Uh, but, uh, yeah, thank you, Joe. That was awesome. Uh, but we do have to get going to the break right now. And we have, uh, a brand new mythical moment, uh, from Mr. Adam Hebert. Uh, so looking forward to that. Check out his show on Wednesdays and his new podcast, um, Dread Time Stories right here on Radio for Humans. And, uh, yeah, but no, thank you, Joe. That was really fun. Uh, it gave us a good laugh after all the, the, the zombie stuff. After all the brain eating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, we'll be right back with lots more right after this. Mythical Moment from Adam Hebert. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert with Mythical Moment 21, Durga. I am woman, hear me roar. Hinduism, the primary religion of India, has many colorful characters in its folklore and its mythology. One of my favorites is the warrior goddess, Durga, and this is the story of how she came to be. The story begins, as many Hindu myths do, with a demon trying to get something from Brahma, the creator god. In this case, it was the buffalo demon, Mahishasura. He did severe penance in his bid, and one day Brahma appeared to him pleased. He offered Mahishasura a boon. The demon asked to be immortal, which Brahma declined. And so, Mahishasura asked to live unless killed by a woman. Brahma, apparently having total trust in this demon, granted this request. Mahishasura was something of a misogynist. He saw women as weak and not capable of being good warriors. And since all the most powerful warriors amongst the divas were men, he knew he now had the advantage, especially since once Brahma granted a boon, it could not be rescinded. Unless there was a woman who could kill him, Mahishasura was effectively immortal. And he used this new quasi-immortality to his benefit immediately by launching an attack on the home of the Hindu gods. The divas put up a fight, but since no one among the divas could slay the rampaging demon, they had to flee to go into hiding, 
and the godly plane now found itself under new demonic management. And he used this new quasi-immortality to his benefit immediately by launching an attack on the home of the Hindu gods. The divas put up a fight, but since no one among the divas could slay the rampaging demon, they had to flee to go into hiding, and the godly plane now found itself under new demonic management. The gods and goddesses had an emergency meeting in their hiding place to discuss the matter, and when it was asked which idiot was responsible for making Mahishasura practically immortal, Brahma sheepishly smiled and tried to back away and hide. The gathered deities asked Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, also known as the Trimurti, what they were going to do about this problem. The three gods conferred amongst themselves and eventually arrived at a plan. Mahishasura's boon couldn't be revoked, that much was certain. He could only be killed by a woman. And so the solution was simple create a goddess capable of killing Mahishasura. And so they pooled their powers together to do just that. The product of their work was the warrior goddess, Durga, created for the sole purpose of killing the unkillable demon. She was the greatest war deity in the pantheon. She had eight arms and hands, and for each of them, a god created a weapon. In the end, she had a chakram, a sword, a bow and quiver of arrows, a javelin, a shield, a conch horn, and a trident. One diva even tried to give her the kitchen sink too, but by then she was ready. To give Durga that extra touch of terrifying, a god gifted her a large tiger to serve as her mount, Gadon. The stage for battle was set. The gods, armed for battle, returned to their former dwelling, and Mahishasura came out to gloat. He then asked who would dare to challenge him, he who could not be killed by men. When every diva pointed to the badass warrior goddess armed to the literal teeth and riding a giant tiger, Mahishasura literally crapped bricks. Durga charged on Gadan, and the battle started. It was fierce and long, and the advantage shifted between the two repeatedly, but eventually Mahishasura took on his true form of a demonic buffalo out of desperation. This did not deter Durga, rather it seemed to provoke her even more. And eventually, she managed to do what no one before her could, slaughter the demonic usurper. Standing on top of the giant dead buffalo corpse, she let out a fierce victory cry, and Durga was hailed as the greatest warrior among the divas. She had discovered her one true joy in her immortal life, crushing her enemies mercilessly. And she was really good at it. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert urging you to remember what is best in life to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of sexist buffalo demons. Back to you, Kenny. Background music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Thanks, Alexander. I think I'll have me a little drinky-winky. I think I will. I think I am. So... It's Friday. Why the hell not? Welcome back to the show. Thank you again, Joe, for some uh, fun Chevy Chase uh, trivia and audio clips. Very fun. He was easy. Yeah. 
So, uh, he was pretty easy with that store clerk. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, uh, and of course, Michelle, thank you for bringing the, bringing the undead to life here on, uh, it came from Cleveland. Oh, we're going to have some more ghoulies as the, as October progresses, but I also want to say, thank Adam, sexy buffalo demons, never thought about that. Very good. Very good. And uh, Miles, all right. Let's, uh, without further ado, uh, let's get some World War II history from our resident buff. Ooh. I apologize. I miss. I I thought I was at the top of the next hour. No, we're doing our, our leftovers top of next hour. So we'll bleed into if if you need extra time, we'll bleed into our time for our leftovers. All right. I am gathering up my notes. In the meantime, that's okay. Uh, I I threw you for a loop there. So, but we had some fun zombie talk today. That was great. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was uh, very fun. And I'm telling you, I I, I cannot recommend uh, for a great uh, you know kind of one-off zombie movie the the uh, uh, you gotta love the crazies. Really good movie. Check out the 2010 yeah. version, everybody. Okay. Yeah. So the next next one we'll be doing is miscellaneous monsters, like oh. uh, main monsters and stuff. Okay. Very good. All right. What do you got, Miles? All right. So. I tonight I'll be discussing the um, 442nd uh, fighting combat regiment. It's a it was actually a fairly small unit, mm-hmm. um, and their role in rescuing the first battalion, which became known as the Lost Battalion, because they got sent behind enemy lines. I'll I'll be talking about that. But for context purposes, I need to talk about the Nihau, or Nihai, Nihua incident. Oh, I apologize for the pronunciation. It is the westernmost island in the Hawaiian chains. So, um, there was an incident back in uh, December 7th of 1941. This you all might have heard of, called uh, Pearl Harbor? Uh, I think so. All right. Yep. So, a Japanese uh, fighter pilot was, his plane was damaged in the second wave. And the plan was that in case any planes were damaged like that, they would try to make it to the westernmost island, where they would then be picked up by submarine. Anyway, I'm di- I'm diverting. So the, a, a pilot crashed. He was, uh, you know, somewhat injured, dazed. A person came over, took him. He was kind of nursed to health, but they understood. They didn't know that Pearl Harbor happened back in those days. You know, they were uh, they were isolated. They didn't have information. Mm, okay. This is a. So anyway, what happened was. There were lots of Native Hawaiians on this island, over 100 or so, but there were two Japanese descendants of, you know, they were like American, uh, they were, were, you know, uh, uh, American citizens, but they had Mm -hmm. Japanese ancestry. And they um, assisted this Japanese pilot. 
And in the course of it, the, the husband was killed and the wife was arrested. And the, the pilot, I think, was also killed. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up for context is it this happened in uh, after, uh, you know, later in December of uh, 1941. And it is believed, uh, and it heavily influenced Roosevelt when he issued on, in February of 42, Executive Order 9066. And that is the one that interned many Japanese on the West Coast, some Germans and even some Italians of, of you know, American citizenship. Mm -hmm. And it is because of this internment that many young um, Japanese American men would rather volunteer for military service than sit in prison uh, being held, you know, by your own government, yeah, so to speak. And so... George C.K. was one of them. So, um, because of uh, racial segregation in the military, that was still a thing back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. The Japanese Americans were put in their own unit. And that was the 442nd. Now, that is... Um, they got into some fighting and they actually had earned some, you know, merits, but they were put in the European theater because, um, obviously, the uh, there was... <sighs> Questions about their loyalties, if you will. Yeah, well, I mean, if you, yeah, I mean, that goes hand in hand with segre segregation and internment. Yeah. You know, there, there's going to be uh, paranoia and suspicions about people's loyalties like crazy. Right. Um, so I'll, I'll just br briefly touch on. So uh, the motto of the 442nd was go for broke. It is still the most decorated unit of its size in the United States history. Okay. It was activated in uh, February of 43 with, uh, it got 4,000 men by April and it had 14,000 men uh, in total serving uh, in that unit. So um, in that unit's life, it would have 18,000 awards over the two years during World War II including 4,000 bronze medals, 9,486 purple hearts. Wow. Eight presidential unit citations and 21 medals of honor, which is the highest award possible. That's crazy. In uh, 2010, uh, in the Obama administration, they were the surviving members were awarded the Congressional Gold Medal. And in 2012... The surviving members were inducted into the French Legion d'Honneur because they served in France uh, to, to help, you know, liberate from, from Germany. So, Legion of Honor. Yes, the Legion of Honor. So, that, these are, uh, oh, there are also other um, um, awards they got. Uh, for example, uh, Connolly, uh, he was the governor of Texas from like 62 to 69 or some such, but he 
there's this thing called being made called being an honorary Texan. And um, because of what the 442nd did, he made basically the unit honorary Texans. Thousands of men. Just boop, you're an honorary Texan. Isn't that what, this isn't is that something what Ted that they Cruz, do for is, people like John Wayne. I'm sorry? Oh, uh, Ted Cruz? Um, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know if Ted Cruz is an honorary Texan. I honestly don't. Uh, but yeah, like Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. To, Thank you, Perry. Governor Perry did a lot of that uh, political stuff. You know, even Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> you know, uh, Chuck Norris. People like that. Stop it! No. Problem. He could probably he could probably say Texas easier than California, though. Yeah. Yeah, California. We're, some, we're not so. supposed to do politics, so there you go. It already happened. Anyway, Joe so, did. Joe started. Uh, on to the Lost Battalion. So the Lost Battalion was the first uh, uh, battalion of the 36th Infantry Division from the Texas National Guard. And they were deployed to southeast France on the German border. They'd suffered heavy casualties from fighting in Salerno, Italy. And then uh, they almost got overrun by a Panzers. And Panzers are the lighter medium tanks, not the yeah. Panther, which are the heavy tanks most people are familiar with in big movies, uh, war movies and whatnot. So there is a uh, Major General Dahlquist, and he was in charge. And against senior officers' advice, he ordered an attack for the 1st Battalion to go in and attack the supply lines of the Germans. This was a ill-thought-out order. So mm -hmm. the 1st Battalion follows. They, go, they penetrate five miles into the Germans, and the, the Germans' re response was kind of slow, but mind you, imagine mountainous terrain, very densely, heavily forested, and fog so thick that you can only see 10 feet in front of you. Yeah. So it's it's a real, I mean, cluster. So um, this unit penetrates, the 1st Battalion penetrates into uh, the, the German defenses, and the Germans are slow to respond to this incursion on their territory of ground that they are holding. But eventually the Germans realize that, hey, this unit doesn't have a rear. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, it isn't, it, there's nobody behind them. There's, yeah. They're just a simple force just marching forward. And so the Germans encircle them and now you got 275 men on a mountaintop in, in the southeast of France, surrounded by 700 Germans. And they're cut off. There is no way back. Uh, they brought enough food for one day. <laughs> they're mm. running out of ammunition. Uh, needless to say, the, the, the situation's dire. Airdrops are performed um, to try and get them supplies. And it, it gets so bad because of the fog, low cloud cover, you know. Uh, but some, some, it's mostly food. There's some ammunition that gets dropped. And uh, water purification pills. Oh, God. Yes. So uh, for those that don't know much about camping, um, this it, isn't water that was dropped inside plastic bottles that were just like, yeah, just crack it open and chug it yeah. back. No. 
No, a water purification pill is what you do is you get water from elsewhere, like the mud you're walking on. You filter it out as best you can through a shirt or a sock. I don't know. Yeah. And then you put one of these pills in there and it's like, I don't know, chlorine or it's got, it's got a cocktail of chemicals to kill all the little nasties that are living in the water before you drink it so that it won't cause you to suffer dysentery or whatever <laughs> possible effects are from drinking water that you walk in mud from that you walk on. Yeah. That's, that's what they were dropping to, to these troops to keep them alive, uh, you know, and, and, uh, able did to they use those fight. in, did they use those in urine? Could you use those in urine? I don't think so. Well, urine is already sterile. Um, but there's a salt. There's a urine. salt. There's a salt content to, to urine, though, right? Well, there's right. yeah, the uric acid. Um, yeah, I, I could research drinking urine if you want me no, to. No, if that's something you want to talk about down the road, sure, sure, we can get Tyler. Yeah, Durden I mean, to, hey, you never know if uh, you know if the next uh, coup. I'm sorry, no politics. All right, so <laughs> okay, now you're pissing us off. Oh, ah. hey. <laughs> Okay, so um, the oh no, I gotta skip over those notes. All right, so that's the situation, and, and it was said that uh, Hitler was even aware of this battalion's predicament and ordered the German forces to destroy it at all cost. Um, because if you're able to wipe out an enemy unit to the man. That's huge morale, you know, morale, yeah. propaganda, all that crap. So, and yeah, those even Panzer Hitler divisions were no this. joke. Those Panzer divisions were no joke at all. No, no. fast moving no, tanks. Were... Be afraid. Yes, fast little mobile tanks are scary. Yeah, I mean, big tanks are scary in their own right, but yeah, you got something fast and mobile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. All right, so Dahlquist. Major General Dahlquist had ordered this brilliant, uh, you know, hey, good, get in there without any rear guard and get surrounded. Order. Oof. I, 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 I can't, I can't. I, I'm scratching my head how this guy kept his command. He <laughs> orders the 442nd to rescue the first battalion. And now the 442nd at this point already had a reputation for being good fighters, but the German defenses were still tough and, you know, well-prepared. And, and so it was sort of considered a suicide mission. Yeah. And historians are uh, pretty critical of the order given to the 442 seconds because it had a bad cost slash risk assessment. Um, and it is, it is considered a prime example of military racism. Basically, the 442nd was considered expendable. Mm. You know, and that that's the shit. So as the 442nd was deployed to go rescue the, the, the 1st Battalion, the 50 men of the 1st attempted a breakout. They were trying to get back to friendly lines. Only five of them made it back to the original location they were trapped in. Wow. The other, yeah, the other 45 were either captured or killed. And even I think this things were so bad that even artillery was used to try and send supplies. Um, I don't know um, 
I can look that. I do. I can research that up along with the drinking of urine thing. But that, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. So uh, the 442nd had 3,000 men at the start of a six-day trek through mud. You know, the, the, the cold temperatures. They uh, and it, they lost 200 men, and 800 of them were severely wounded. The losses that they had suffered were so rapid that the rear line cooks were issued weapons. Wow. Which, yeah, if you're giving your cook a weapon, it's just like, here you go. Uh, uh, it's, it's scary. That, that is scary stuff. So while the 442nd, all right, so I mentioned the, the weather issues. I mean, it's fog and all that crap. Mm-hmm. While they're searching for the, the, the first... The 442nd is shot at, sniped. They're going through minefields, shelled by artillery, and they kept going because if they stopped, they would be in the same position that the first was in. Um, An example of a a private, uh, Private Barney Hajiro. Barney, doesn't that sound like a totally American name? Yeah, yeah. Wow. All right, so it is said this guy charged 100 yards alone downhill towards an enemy, took out two machine gun nests and two snipers. Damn. And he wasn't stopped until four bullets had hit him. Wow. And uh, after the fact, he's quoted as saying, I I didn't think about dying. (laughs) Oh, he survived. He survived. He survived. Wow, yeah, the that's four bullets awesome. stopped him, didn't kill him, but they stopped him just like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously, you got a purple heart, you know, but that was crazy. Wow. A, uh, a private, yeah, it's a, like I said, the 442nd had a reputation for being powerful, you know, awesome fighters. Uh, private George Sakata saw his friend uh, Saburo Tanamachi, again, apologies for the pronunciation, he, he was shot. And so he charged, and he took out 12 foxholes, capturing four Germans. That's, I mean, um, any of you have seen or heard about Private uh, York, or Sergeant York, I'm sorry. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. Did I talk about him? No, the name's familiar. I, I, I don't think, think you so. have yet. Okay. I, I've there was watched. a famous movie about him. Yes, yes, he's definitely worth worth talking about, but that's World War One stuff, which I'll talk about. You know, I can bring him up. Uh, so the rest of you know, it was so inspired, they just came up and just swept forward and just just, just pressed on. Uh, but anyway, so things got so bad for their own supplies, a Sergeant Cascino led 12 men to try and raid German stores for food. He was the only one to return, and he was shot twice. And after getting stints, he demanded that he be allowed to return to the unit. And that sergeant got got six purple hearts by the war's end. That's that's the kind of guy that was in in this unit. So by the time the... uh, that they reached the 1st Battalion, the 442nd had suffered 20% wounded or captured or missing. And those are that's an atrocious rate. Yeah. That, that's just... Ugh. And according to lore, one of the first uh, uh, men of the 442nd walked up to a Lieutenant Marty Higgins and offered him a lucky strike. <laughs> Get happy-go-lucky. 
I swear. I mean, uh, you know, obviously smoking is bad, but back in the days, cigarettes were rare to come by. So, I mean, uh, it's it, back then, and if you were trapped behind enemy lines, so yeah, that that, uh, that that's a cool story. I, I think. Yeah. Of the two hundred and seventy-five, two hundred and eleven men were rescued out of the first battalion, at a cost of eight hundred men lost Ooh, wow. by the four hundred and forty-second. And uh, many of the 442nd resented uh, the mission, basically. It was a suicide mission. Mm -hmm. And uh, the same Lieutenant Marty Higgins, is uh, he's, he's a quote attributed to him, no one will ever be able to convince me that the men killed and wounded in our rescue can be justified. We should have been bypassed. And that... That's a guy that just straight up understood the, the cost of war and knew what the price that was paid. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned uh, the uh, unit getting honors from Texas and um, Clinton. Oh, wait, I got a quote somewhere from... Oh, shoot, where did it go? It's from Truman. Harry Truman quote in here somewhere. Let's look at all the foley we have on the show. We had thunder. Now we have notepads. Uh, <laughs> we have a we have a lightning storm here now. It's oh bad. boy! Okay. I think I have lost it. I can't oh. find the quote. Oh dear. But basic uh, the quote. I'll try and I'll just quite, uh, get it from memory. The quote from Clinton was: uh, "Never has it, or no, rarely has a nation been so well served." By a people so ill-treated. Uh, that's oh, a good yeah. quote. And I do, uh, Truman I do welcomed back quote, the actually. unit and said something like, you have fought the enemy and you have fought prejudice and won. And it is through actions like yours and if we will continue to fight that we will win and you will do good for the nation and for all our people. You know, something to that effect. Sorry I lost the quote, but... Um, no, that that's great. I actually vaguely... I think I remember uh, seeing... Uh, that uh clinton speech and the in the honoring i i i have a a pretty uh not a, a vague memory of of watching that i mean that quote sounds very familiar yeah it's it's yeah so that's the 442nd um uh, they they had there's no amount of well, anyway, but I'm just saying the the way our country treated people, uh, you, you know, we broke our own rules. Yes, know. we did. It's taken a long time to get uh, equity for everybody in this country. Uh, so you know, it's still we're, not we're there st yet. Still growing. We're working on it. Yeah. Yep. So, and we gotta we gotta drag people right. kicking and screaming with us. So, hope you enjoyed that. Yeah, very much so. Very good. Thank you uh, for that, Miles. Um, but uh, yeah, we w we're going to get going to the break right now. Uh, very informative. But yeah, seriously though, Panzers, fast, lightweight, heavy artillery. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, you know, there, there's a there's a reason why you know panzers stick out you know that that word is you know i mean because those things were were not to be trifled with so uh but all right yeah thank you for that miles and uh when we come back we are going to get to our cleanup work since we took off last week and get to last week's uh birthdays of two people that we all love and admire uh the late great chris uh, uh christopher reeve 
and uh, the legendary Mark Hamill. We'll be right yes, back. Yes, yes, yes. Right after this. Friday the 13th, those designing women are getting lucky in Vegas. And Anthony's getting lucky too. <laughs> then, who stole the last page of Bob's new comic book? Ah! It's Bob like I've never seen him before. Ah! It'd be bad luck to miss it. Silly zombies. Flesh eating is for worms. You don't have to hit me. I know how tempting a good piece of meat can be. But trust me, dead things should be buried, not eaten. Yeah, could you get dinner tonight? I ran into a little glitch. It's never too late to go vegetarian. Hello, darling. Mistress of the Dark here. The Los Angeles Haunted Hayride is back with the most nightmare-inducing year yet. The Hayride will thrash you, the Dark Maze will separate the horror fans from the imposters, and Purgatory will send you home for a new pair of pants. Of course, there'll be a special night hosted by little old me, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Get your exclusive $5 discount when you buy a sun-kissed beverage. See you at the Hayride. Come on in. The more, the scarier. Hello, darling. It's me, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And I'm here to tell you about my virtual pinball arcades, Garrett Stiff and Elvira and the Party Monsters by Farsight Studios. They recreated these tables down to the smallest, tiniest details. Of course, my details are not so small. Now, I'm not sure how they actually feel my details in there, but, uh, oh well, technology, I guess. <laughs> oh, anyway, so if you've got the balls, you know the place to play. Unpleasant dreams. Go to Elvira.com, darling, to get my brand new coffin table book from Tweeterhead, celebrating my 35 years in showbiz. 35 years? Well, guess you can't kill what's already dead. A message from Elvira down under. Crikey, so this is what the sun feels like. Oh, good eye, mates. Elvira here. Wait till you have a squiz at what I'm bringing back from Oz for Halloween. It's a bonzer marathon of Who Dares Wins, the Aussie game show of death-defying stunts, heart-pounding dangers, and ridiculous accents. Absolutely awesome. Game Show Network scares and dares with Elvira. An entire night of Who Dares Wins, Sunday, October 28th at 8 Eastern. It'll be a rip snorter. Whoa. Now that's scary. Hello, darlings. It's me, that sassy lassie who ain't all that classy, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Join me November 5th and 6th for Kamikaze Expo at the L.A. Convention Center. It's a weekend of horror, comics, anime, sci-fi, fantasy, gaming, pop culture, and all things macabre. That's right, ladies and Dobermans. Kamikaze Expo is serving up your favorite creatures and features in a weekend of all things geek, freak, and super chic. You'll get to meet the wacky creators and artists behind all your favorites, from B-movie bimbos and scream queens to comic book artists, gaming freaks, anime artists, and of course, your most beloved ghoul next door. There'll be a dream list of actors, monsters, she-demons, and filmmakers for you little devils to gawk at. And you can join me for some fiendish fun with the creators from practically all the crappy, I mean, uh, classic movies I ever hosted. Good thing my cups runneth over, because Kamikaze is just busting with gaming tournaments, contests, film screenings, and panels, and so much more. For more info, visit KamikazeExpo.com or find us on Facebook. See you at Kamikaze Expo on November 5th and 6th at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Unpleasant dreams. Hello, little monsters. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark here, bringing a little bite back in your breakfast with this. Funko's Elvira. <coughs> <coughs> mm. Funko 
Elvira cereal shall scare up some fun for any meal, day or night. And how's this for a kicker? In every box you get a mini pop of me for free. You know, crunching these sugary O's sure takes me back to when I was a little ghoul. And it tastes great too. Funko's, the tasty new treat featuring a cast of characters, including Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Yummy Cereal, Games on the Box, a free toy inside, Nutrition Facts. But wait, there's more! Bowls and spoons too! What? Elvira Funko's, available exclusively at Hot Topic. Collect them all! Ah, oh, so cute! <laughs> Going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish hunter. Something evil. See, I'm from, um, well, pretty far away. Another galaxy, as a matter of fact. I come from a planet called Krypton. Not recommended for impressionable children. Well, I wasn't evil. That was a Superman talking along his lane. Welcome back to It Came From Cleveland, episode 24, and uh, I've been uh, really excited to play this audio um, that I got last week for the show, because this week, uh, uh, well, last week, was the birthday of Christopher Reeve, who was born on September 25th, 1952, uh, so, um, and uh, he passed away unfortunately October 10th uh, two days from now at the age, young age of 52 he was only oh my god he was only two years older than me when he died uh, that's just that's just crazy and and what a what a tragic um, what a, what a tragic ending to a life filled with inspiration and hope because uh, Christopher Reeve meant the world to a lot of people, including myself. Uh, in uh, and of course, welcome back, um, uh, Joe. Hello, Joe. I know you're a fan of Christopher Reeve as well. Absolutely. And uh, Michelle, I know you are as well. Not just because of Superman, but because of a lot of other things he did. Heck yeah! Time after time, all that. Yeah, yeah. The Village of the Damned uh, with Mark Hamill, who we'll be talking about shortly. Yes. And uh, and Miles, because you know, birthdays, serendipitous. Huh? Yes, and and Miles, I mean, what an icon of cinema and our childhood. Uh, you know, he he was my Superman. I don't know if he was yours, but I have a feeling he yeah, probably yeah, was. Yeah, he was mine too. Yeah. So, um, now and and so I mean, just a just a, a dumb little story about you know what Christopher Reeve meant to me as as a kid. Well. When I was about seven years old, I shattered my right elbow uh, in, in eight places. They literally were talking about having to do um, pins in my arm to reset it, or uh, even talking amputation because it was amputation, so bad. Amputation, yeah. And um, the uh, my um, 
uh, oh gosh, I can't remember my doctor's name. My, the doctor who reset the bones in my arm and, and, and fixed my elbow, uh, actually wrote up the technique that he used to repair my bones. Uh, and it was published in a medical journal. Uh, so, so that, that, you know, I, my accident led to maybe somebody else not suffering from, uh, you know, pins or amputation, uh, from a break. Um, but, uh, I was, I was out of school for a long time, but I remember I was in so much pain when I was being taken to the hospital. You know, they, they put an inflatable cast on my arm at, at the school. My mom picked me up. I was in the back of the car. I was passing out. You know, um, because they didn't know how bad it was at the school and, you know, and it was the 70s, whatever. But well, I remember being in the hospital and, um, you know, the a new. Uh, so this was this was the year, I think, that Superman came out in 1978. Um, and I was I wanted to see that movie so bad, uh, but, you know, I, I didn't get to see it in the theater. Um, and I don't know if it was it had to do anything with me breaking my elbow. I don't think so. But when I was in the hospital, I remember seeing commercials for it and stuff like that, and reading comic books that had the ads for it and everything. And it meant it meant the world to me. My my folks bought me a Superman Mego action figure, which I have a vast Mego collection, as many of you know. I've backed away from it now. I have enough. I, I got enough stuff. Um, but I have, I don't have my original Superman Mego, but I do have one. I have a, you know, one of the old ones. And to me, I just would look at it and it looked just like Christopher Reeve. Now I realize it doesn't, but I was just like, it looks just like the guy in the movie, you know, cause he was Superman to me. He wasn't an actor. He was Superman. And and that meant a lot to me. And, of course, you know, uh, as as time went on, I'm one of the few people out there, I love all four Superman movies. I think a quest for, uh, uh, a que The Quest for Peace, I think was a great movie for a low-budget film. I think it had a great storyline, and it was fun. And, um, you know, and whatever, John Cryer was, you know, <laughs> was whatever. <laughs> but, of course, John Cryer later went on to become Lex Luthor in the Supergirl series, which is interesting. Um... And, uh, but uh, later on in life, I found out, uh, when you, you know, when I was, um, discovering that I was an atheist, I found out that Christopher Reeve also was an atheist and I deeply admired him for that. And he, you know, even after his accident and everything, he did not, uh, you know, like a lot of people would, you know, feel, you know, that they would need to change their worldview or, or belief system um, and, and, you know, pray for, you know, a miracle or whatever. He still believed in science up until the day, you know, he died. He pushed for stem cell research for people like him. Uh, and, of course, that was, you know, oh, God, everybody was freaking out about that. Um, but he, he truly was, he was a hero in every sense of the word. And um, just a genuine nice human being and um and all since we said it already he hated donald trump too and <laughs> so <laughs> so so that's good there's a great video out there of him talking about trump in the 80s 
or nineties, I think. And he's like, uh, Oh, he, Oh God, he, he, he landed. A lot of people so. hated him back then. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, uh, we're just talking about that washed up celebrity, you know, n- nothing political. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I picked out some, uh, some, some fun Christopher Reeve stuff for everybody, um, uh, that we can all, all discuss. And uh, we'll we'll kind of blow through that quickly, and I'll get everybody's take on this. But this is an early interview from 1978 with Christopher Reeve, um, a very uh, you know, uh, he was very skinny, lanky, six foot four, I think, um, guy who got the part of Superman. And they were talking about, well, here I'll play it for you because uh, he talks about what he had to do to you know look the part. And this is him playing piano, by the way, too. Dozens of stars and hundreds of unknowns were tested, and none of them were right. They kept coming back to a young man they'd seen earlier in their search, Christopher Reeve. At first, they'd considered him too young and maybe even too skinny, but his mature calm made a continuing impact. I wore a big, bulky blue sweater (laughs) because <laughs> I thought, oh my God, I've got to look stronger, you know, and I knew I was skinny. I'd been sitting around, hadn't been exercising. I mean, I get out and play tennis and stuff, but I don't in any way do body stuff. So I got the biggest Shetland sweater I could find up in my attic and went to this audition with it and sat there sort of, you know, sort of trying to be, trying to look bigger, you know, and everything like that. And it was Ilya Salkine and Vic Donner, who were the directors. And all they did, they put a pair of glasses on me and they sort of looked at me and we talked about New York and blah 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 and nothing in particular and I left he got the part but the problem remained he was too slim a padded uniform was prepared for him but Christopher Reeve was determined to build up his own physique for real the point is that when I started I was a string bean and Superman's not a string bean so already on this diet I eat four times a day uh, I, tell you, I tell you I'm on a high meat diet protein diet uh, vitamin pills, Atkins. nothing like steroids or anything like that, but um, oh, it's worse. I mean, I get to eat yeah, as I much know. of as anything that I want, and it's it's great, you know. The thing is that I on this part, you, how you have to start from the outside and work in. You can you can do all the interior work you want to do, and it's still it's not going to get you to Superman if you don't have the physical strength to go with it. The thing that happens is that the stronger I get, you know, and I'm still not all that strong, but I'm I'm getting there. The stronger I get, the more it helps my mental attitude towards the part. What sets Superman apart is that he has the wisdom to use his power for good. He has all these powers, but he's got, he's got the kind of maturity, or he's got the innocence, really, to look at the world very, very simply. And that's what makes him so different. When he says, I'm here to fight for truth, justice, and the American way, you everybody goes, <coughs> you know? But he's not kidding. He's not. He's not. He, they they call him the Big Blue Boy Scout uh, for a reason because he believes in these pure uh, messages and that I will credit. I mean, there so much credit go goes to um, uh, Richard Donner and Christopher Reeve for truly ca- uh, capturing a comic book accurate version of Superman. That uh, you know we we'd never seen that on the screen. Um, because, you know, we had know. like, you know, the, the 60s Batman, which was goofy and campy. And yeah, some of the comics were goofy and campy, but, you know, the, there were some pretty gritty roots to Batman um, before he started going into UFOs and fighting mechanical dinosaurs and things like that. Um, 
And, uh, you know, in Superman from the comics, you know, you could easily play that up as being really goofy um, and really mess it up. But uh, I grabbed a couple clips that, that uh, I think kind of show what, you know, th that there's this clear delineation in the films between Clark Kent and Superman. I mean, Christopher Reeve might not have had an amazing range as an actor, but his abilities as an actor are are very admirable and, and very, uh, very powerful, I think. And um, uh, Joe, do you remember the alley scene from uh, the first Superman movie? <clears throat> not really, but I will say this. Um... Christopher Reeve was my Superman too, <laughs> so well, and I was in my thirties then. Well, you know, and the thing was, you know, you were, you were, you know, you and I and, and all of us were were used to the George Reeve uh, portrayal of Superman, which was, you know, yeah, he he kind of looked sort of the part and everything, and you know, it was. But it wasn't. But he was you know, a drunk on film. Well, yeah. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, watch Hollywood. Yeah, that was my <clears throat> that was my childhood. Yeah, but, uh, and, when I went know, to the movies, I always I always have Christopher Reeve in my my mm -hmm. my mind. I love Christopher Reeve. Yes, yeah. and uh, you know, but uh, but the alley scene was was truly this is early on in the film, although or I early on in Superman one with actually Christopher Reeve playing Clark Kent <laughs> doesn't happen for a while. Uh, can, you know, I, can I, yeah, will I get a chance to tell you my favorite scene? Oh yeah, absolutely. Did go you ahead. did you want to do it now, or you want me to uh, play the uh, the alley? No, scene? go ahead because mine is later. Okay, yeah. So the the alley scene, uh, you know, is is relatively early of Clark Kent being in Metropolis. You know, when Christopher Reeve is actually playing the part after being played by multiple actors for the origin. Um, we finally get to Clark Kent and, uh, this is, uh, he and Lois Lane are exiting the daily planet and he's talking about his first uh, day on the job and lo and behold, a mugger sticks his, uh, sticks a gun in their faces and says, come here, come here, come in the alley. And this is how that plays out. I thought he was a really nice guy. Jimmy Olsen was fantastic. Hey, huh? come here. <gasps> come on, come on, come on. Get in here. Hurry up. Come on. Clark, I think we better get out of here. I, I think we better do what he says, Lois. That's it. Come on, come on. Huh? Get in here, quick. Don't, don't do anything. That's it. All right, we're coming. Come on. We're coming. Come on. Excuse me. Oh, back here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please, please don't point that at me, sir. You could hurt somebody with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Hold it there. Just a minute, mister. Just a minute. Now, I realize, of course, that times are tough for some these days, but this isn't the answer. You can't solve uh, society's problems with a gun. Oof. You know something, buddy? You're right. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Good for you, sir. That's the spirit. See, he doesn't really want to hurt anybody. Uh-huh. Right after I rip off this lady's purse. <laughs> of course. Now, come on, lady. Hand it over. I don't know. I think maybe you better... Huh? What are you doing? Clark! 
Clark! Are you all right, Clark? What happened? Golly, I guess I must have fainted. Fainted? <laughs> Golly. You fainted. Sorry. Caught the bullet. Well. Well, really, Lois. Supposing that man has shot you. Is it worth risking your life over ten dollars, two credit cards, a hairbrush, and a lipstick? <laughs> How did you know that? Know what? Oh yeah. You just described the exact contents of my purse. Lucky guess. Um, wild guess. Yeah, wild guess. <laughs> Um, but that moment uh, was, you know, that that level of comedy and that projection of him, even though he's six foot four, he kind of slumps in a little bit, you know, when he walks, kind of shuffles along, pushes his glasses up. Um, it's innocence. Yeah, yeah, absolute brilliant portrayal. And again, the, uh, you know, I just I just picked the two two clips. To compare and contrast the his he him as super uh, Clark Kent and him as Superman. And Are you sure you're still broadcasting, Kenny? Yeah, because um, Heather's saying and Living is saying they're hearing the mystery. Oh, okay. Uh, let me uh, try and see if we can do this. If not, I'll have to go and boot myself from the server. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to just do that real quick. But anyway, um, yeah, let me just go ahead and uh, run the other clip while I do that. Save a little bit of time. But this is from Superman 2, The Molecule Chamber. Now, I love this because in the comic books, Superman would often use his intellect um, to uh, solve problems and not just his brute strength. Because Superman was a super genius. He built machines. He cured diseases. Yes. You know, did all kinds of things. So, um, in Superman 2, to defeat uh, the, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, to defeat the Phantom Zone villains, uh, you know, and now Lex Luthor and the Phantom Zone villains are in the Fortress of Solitude. So, uh, Christopher Reeve, or I'm sorry, uh, Superman uh, says, hey, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you know, he pulls Lex Luthor aside and says, all right, you got to do this. And, and, you know, we got to trick him and get him in this machine, this molecule chamber. So listen to this. Try to get them all into this molecule chamber. It takes away their powers, see, and turns them into ordinary human beings. Now, if you could... Don't go in there, General. It's a trap. Luther, you poisonous snake. That's a molecule chamber. It makes people like you into people like me. You've done well, Lex Luthor. General, um, the crystal there uh, activates the mechanism. Lex Luthor, ruler of Australia, activate the machine. Okay, so uh, what's really great about this is uh, Superman uh, gets in the chamber. Lex Luthor, uh, ruler of Australia. <laughs> Um, he activates the machine, but Superman has basically shielded himself from these rays that would take away, uh, Kryptonian's powers, much like red kryptonite does, uh, in the comic book. So this is kind of a, a little lean into, you know, they, they didn't go crazy with, you know, different colors of kryptonite in, 
um, the the original movies. But you know they were they were getting there. They were getting there with the 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 lore from the comic books. Um, and uh, so so what happens is Phantom Zone villains uh, are stripped of their powers. Superman is protected, and he just you know basically chucks them down a hole. Uh, to die, I guess, in the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, although Non uh, le- tries to fly and falls down a hole uh, because he's lost his powers. Uh, but, it, it, you know, again, a great way, and Michelle, you know the comics, a great way to, to have Superman solve a problem not with brute strength and destroying Metropolis like Man of Steel. <laughs> but. You know, actually doing the job with his mind and not his might. Yes, but um, my favorite thing in in the Superman series was in when uh, Lex Luthor was explaining how he was going to destroy the the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, that was amazing. Just but and 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 like and and. When uh, Miss Tessmacher heard what he was saying, he's like, "No, no," and it's like, "My mother lives in Hoboken," and, and Lex looks looks down at his, at his watch and's like, "Nope." <laughs> so she has to resort to freeing Superman. For me, that was the best part of that series. For me, sorry. Oh no, it was great. It was great. Unfortunately, you know, it was. It, it was a great part of the story, but you know the again, like I said, we're just you know I I, I like um, and and that was so heartbreaking too. Christopher Reeve's performance when he was chained yes. in in that pool of water, um, you know, with the kryptonite around his neck. That was the that I mean that was devastating as a kid, you know, um, but a great performance nonetheless. But yeah, no, great stuff and uh, um. Uh, but yeah, uh, Joe, do you have any favorite mom- mom- uh, moments of the Superman franchise? I do. It was um, the Eiffel Tower. Uh, oh yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, and and that line when uh, Lois says, "It was Lois." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why? That's what they're gonna do is terrible. <laughs> He says, yeah, that's why they call them terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so God. Appreciate. I have to. Oh, yeah, God. That... I, I got to go back and rewatch all these. I have the box set on DVD that I do not have for sale. They are mine. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, and uh, Miles, what about you? Uh, favorite moments from the Superman uh, Christopher Reeve franchise? It would probably be when he broke out. Um and he, uh, the the bank robbers were escaping on a boat, and uh, the one clubbed him from behind with a cross, uh, a um, uh. <laughs> cross bar, and he's like, "Bad vibrations." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just rewatched that too. I love that because the, in the first Superman movie, it, what the, that's something that they they could have stolen from because actually, you know, the alley scene, Michelle. Patty Jenkins emulated that scene for the first Wonder Woman movie with uh, Steve Trevor and um, and Diana in the alley, where she uh, she saves him from being shot. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, Patty Jenkins uh, she she actually said yeah I, I totally drew inspiration from from uh, Rich, you know uh, Richard Donner's uh, Superman. 
Um, and, uh, now, and again, there's a fascinating history behind Superman and Superman 2 and how those movies were intended to be made by Richard Donner and intended to be released. There's obviously the Richard Donner cut of Superman, um, which uh, I, I, or Superman 2, I think. I don't remember exactly the story behind it, but there's a lot of there's a lot of history there. The Salkinds were not really very good people to Richard Donner and... Um, you know, so there, there was some bad blood there. Now the, the next clip I chose and, and we'll have to do lightning round on, uh, Mark Hamill when we come back, but we'll definitely get to your stuff, Michelle, cause it's all short. Um, oh, thank you. That's Muppets. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but now this, this to me, I feel is really important because this kind of began a big, big trend in what we're seeing especially with the DC franchise and the idea of a multiverse and paying tributes to those who have come before for different parts. Another good example of this was casting uh, Adam West as the Grey Ghost in the Batman the Animated Series. But in Smallville, even after Christopher Reeve's accident, he still acted. Um, you know, he did, uh, Rear Window. I believe that trailer is in uh, a remake of Rear Window. I think that trailer is in our break coming up. Um, but, uh, uh, he played a character named Dr. Virgil Swan on the TV series Smallville. And, uh, and again, we have a lot of, a lot of this happened, started happening in Smallville where they brought people back. You know, they even brought back, uh, uh, well, Michelle from Somewhere in Time. Uh, what, what's the actress's name? Um, uh, Jane Seymour, right? Is that? Yeah, yeah that's her. Yeah, okay. yeah I'm yeah. not good. I'm not good with that. That's okay. Name. That's okay. Yeah, um, it was Jane Seymour. Okay. Well, Jane Seymour even was, you know, because she had a connection to Christopher Reeve from Somewhere in Time, she was became uh, a, a, a semi regular on the show. And of course, you know, the, the, um, uh, 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 oh gosh, um, the actress who played Martha Kent in that show, and of course, uh, uh, oh god, she's married to Michael McKean, and I can't remember her name, the redhead. She played Lana yes. Lang in Superman 3. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, she did. So, you know, there, there was a lot of this going on, and they in Smallville really, really leaned into this and kind of set the precedent because you're seeing a lot of this because now at the end of Wonder Woman 2. Uh, spoilers, um, or Wonder Woman 1984, um, at the end of that, uh, the one and only Linda Carter uh, had a cameo. So mm -hmm. I'm assuming she's going to be in the next Wonder yep. Woman film as well. Yep. Uh, so there's been a lot of this going on. And, and I will say, even though the DC franchises are kind of a mess, they do a really good job of paying tribute to, to things that came before and now we see Michael Keaton is going to be Batman again in the new Flash That's movie. That's going to be cool. So, so Christopher Reeve, uh, before his death, kind of got this live action ball rolling as Annette O'Toole. Thank you, Francie. Um, uh, but yeah, Christopher Reeve uh, kind of got this ball rolling by agreeing to be Virgil Swan in the Smallville series. And here's a great performance uh, with him and John Glover as Lionel Luthor uh, from one of the episodes, I think, in season three. I don't remember, but here you go. I love Titans John Glover. Don't often show up at my doorstep unannounced. 
I, um, I apologize for surprising you like this, Dr. Swan, but uh, it's a matter of some urgency. I've been wondering how long it would take for you to finally walk through the door. Then you uh, obviously know why I'm here. I think perhaps you've been reading my emails to Clark Kent, am I correct? <laughs> my transgression doesn't seem to upset you. I'm glad. I'm a scientist. I find curiosity to be a most admirable trait. Uh, Dr. Swan, I am the uh, conservator of the Kowachi Caves. If you can tell me what is written on the cave walls, I would agree to hand over that conservancy to your foundation. Oh, thank you, but I'm afraid I can't help you. The language remains a mystery to me. Are you aware that um, at one time there was an octagonal keyhole on the wall of the cave? It was sealed for months. Then it reopened suddenly, just after our young friend Clark had been down there. No, oh, you don't need me, you need a locksmith. <laughs> right, but uh, the key to that lock was in my possession. But it was stolen from my safe. Again, Clark had been present. Oh, so now you believe that he has it? He trusts you. Would uh, you be willing to talk to him? such a small price to pay in exchange for the answers you've been searching for. Yes, well, I know what I'm after. But what do you expect to find? You're dying. How do you know that? As I said, curiosity is an admirable trait. I believe in the extraordinary, in the possibilities it holds, but I prefer to follow my own path. Thank you for your time, Doctor. Love that. That 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 was the. I, I that got me really into Smallville when Christopher Reeve was on, and he was in a, sadly only a few episodes, and it wasn't much longer after that before he passed away. And I was gutted. I was gutted when Christopher Reeve died. I really wanted wanted him to. It hurt. Yeah, I, I really wanted, you know, a. I was so pulling for, I remember getting into arguments with people about the stem cell research and everything. And, you know, um, it, it, you know, and there was that commercial. Do you remember that commercial, Michelle, where it, they, he, Christopher Ree was in it and they did CGI of him standing up and, and walking uh, to promote science and curing people. Do you remember that? I remember something like that. It was not one of my faves. I do. 
Yeah. Uh, well, it, it wasn't a favorite or anything. It was just something that I saw, and it's like, you know, that's just how optimistic he was. He really felt he would walk again, you know? I, I would have been happy if he could walk again, but um, it wasn't to be. <laughs> and no. you notice in that in that clip you played, he was having trouble speaking. Well, yeah, he constantly had a uh, he had a tracheotomy that right. uh, with a, a tube. Yeah, he um, he had a severe spinal injury. It was awful. Yeah, right. yeah, and um, but what was amazing though was he actually was able to start moving one of his fingers. If anybody remembers that, he tried. Yeah, he, I mean, he did beautifully. He did. So, you know, so th there was, you know, uh, I mean, it's like his will was so strong, but, he, you know, that kind of debilitating uh, quadriplegism uh, does not lead to, um, it, you know, your body just kind of withers away. And, and, and to think of, you know, how powerful and imposing he was at one point and, you know, to be reduced to that is, is just, just heartbreaking. And then his wife passed away shortly thereafter, which was really sad of cancer. So, um, and, uh, but, uh, uh, anyway, uh, his son, their son, uh, keep, keeps their, you know, Dana and Christopher's memories alive through the Christopher and Dana Reeve foundation. Um, and, uh, they, you can always donate you can get your, your dog tags and, uh, um, you know, show that you're you're supporting uh, research to cure uh, horrendous diseases and uh, maladies. Um, Do you remember who he was a good friend with? Uh, he's a, he's a very good friend with Robin Williams. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I do recall and that. So that so. yeah, that was like a, a whole trifecta of no. awful. Yeah, Christopher, uh, Christopher Reeve and Robin Williams, both of their deaths uh, affected me greatly. So yeah, um, I cried when both of them died. I was, yeah, it, it, same it here. It was agonizing. So anyway, we've we've run over quite a bit, um, and we still have Mark Hamill stuff to get to. Oh, uh, so no, that's okay. It, you know, things got a little wonky uh, tonight. It's okay. Um, but, uh, we might go over a little bit if everybody's all right. Um, okay. and of course we had our technical mm -hmm. issues as always. So, uh, but here we, we go. Have some great Mark Hamill stuff though. We do. Oh we do. We do. And, uh, yeah. So, but here we go. I have a, a Mark Hamill, Christopher Reeve trailer break, a combo attack, including Oot. both of them in the John Carpenter remake of Village of the Damned. And of course, uh, somewhere in time is in here. I think Rear Window might be. And um, there's another Mark Hamill movie that I can't remember, but it's the one he did with Bill Paxton. Slipstream, Slipstream. Um, so yeah, I threw all those in there. Enjoy, and we'll be right back with our final segment, talking about uh, one Mark Hamill right after this. Richard Collier is about to begin an incredible journey into another realm, another lifetime, in search of the love he could never find in this one. That's Elise McKenna. Starred in a play in the hotel theater. When was this play done? 1912. Dr. Finney, is time travel possible? 
That is a question. Arthur? Arthur? You're the only one who can help me. the one, William? Walk with me. Please. Collier, I know who you are. You came to destroy her. beyond fantasy, beyond time itself. Universal Pictures is proud to present Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour, Christopher Plummer, Somewhere in Time. Someday, in the past, he will find her. Precisely 10 a.m. in a quiet seaside village. Something happened. Something unexplainable. Something unbelievable. There's a lot of pregnancies, much more than would normally be expected. All the pregnancies seem to date from the day of the blackout. This town is about to discover that looks can kill. There have been a few casualties. I should say accidents that might be related to contact with the children. My daughter was involved. Who are they? <gasps> they have one mind that they share between them. Father? Let us pray. You've been discussing us with Dr. Vern. What did she tell you? You're hiding something. The police can't do anything to stop the children. Get out while you can. There's something so much more powerful than we'll ever be. What are you gonna do? The only thing that we can do. You can't stop us, you know. has swept the skies and nature has reclaimed the planet. In the desolate wasteland that remains, a mysterious fugitive is pursued and captured by a brutal lawman and his feisty tracker. When a wily bounty hunter grabs their prisoner. What the hell happened here? Mr. Rowan here thinks he's gonna take our prisoner. They vow to track him to the edge of existence. Poison jar. Now drop the gun and we'll talk about getting you the antidote. I never believe a man staring down the barrel of a gun. <laughs> well, you should this time. Now, it's a race against time across dangerous territory. This is forbidden territory. What are you doing? You're under arrest. Dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Let's show them what we got, boys. 
this is what hell is. You're stuck in a place like this forever. I can help you. A battle of wits in an unknown land. I'll give you the antidote. Then I'll shoot you. That's what I like. Teamwork. A sense of fair play. You've misled them about us. So how can we know you're not misleading us about them? Go to hell! It's our next stop! A test of courage under fire. I should kill you right now is what I should And this time there will be no prisoners. I'm not leaving with you. Slipstream. After a tragic accident, Jason Kemp is coming home. I know you'll make something good out of all this. You always do. To his new life. Hi, Claudia Henderson. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. You've been working on my project, keeping it warm for me. Well, I hope I've been doing a little more than that. Actually, I hope you have it. To friendly neighbors. See that blonde down there? Wait back to her for me. And a killer view. <laughs> but the more he looks, Give me. the more he suspects. She's not there. Something's happened. Something's happened to her. His neighbor is hiding. I think he killed her last night. A dark secret. You've been spying on me. Dial 911. He knows you've been snooping around. He's coming after you. Get out of there quick. I can't hear you. You're, you're breaking up. Do you think I'm crazy? Not crazy. Just imaginative. Rear window. Now available on video wherever videos are sold. Like, like we're being watched. No, oh, I wish we were being watched. We're just audio, though, Mark. So, <laughs> uh, welcome back to it. Came from Cleveland, episode twenty-four. Uh, we're gonna go into a little bit of overtime here. Uh, hopefully, not too much, but uh, I do have some fun audio from Mark Hamill, and of course, I, you know, I have that movie Slipstream on DVD. Not for sale yet, but it's in my inventory. But I think I might just have to test that DVD and uh, watch that movie. I mean, might. Mark Hamill and Bill Paxton in a movie, even if it's kind of low budget, I mean, that was great. I, Mark Hamill's voice was kind of unrecognizable in that because he was kind of doing a, a bit of a southern drawl kind of thing, which was fun. I mean, he's totally bleached. But I'm still there. Yeah, it's he, still there. He, if you're not if you're not watching the video, you know it's yeah, there. Yeah, and and he's kind of like bleach blonde with spiky hair and has like a little shitty beard. He kind of looks like Guy Fieri. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and but Bill Paxton looks just like Bill Paxton always does. Um, you know, although you know he cut his hair, or grew his hair, or whatever. Uh, but yeah, yeah. No, no, but yeah, so there you go. Uh, great movies. Village of the Damned. I mean, 
seriously, it, that that remake is really good. It, it's kind of low budget, but John Carpenter had a really good streak of of kind of under the radar movies, including that in in the Mouth of Madness, Prince of Darkness. Um, you know, both that, of them are amazing, though. The original oh, and the remake. Oh, oh, absolutely. And, you know, well, Village of the Damned and uh, Children of the Damned, the, the follow-up, uh, which yeah. I have for sale on a DVD uh, double feature uh, at Voodoo Zombie Boutique. <laughs> uh, uh, that one I do have for sale, but not Slipstream yet. Um, and I'm not selling my Superman DVDs. No way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, welcome back, uh, uh, but yeah, Miles, this is a guy who's up your alley, Mark Hamill, obviously, you are a, a huge Star Wars fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mark Hamill, I just, uh, realized he was a left-hander when I saw him on the Muppet Show. Oh, are you left-handed? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, my best friend, uh, Steve, who's also a huge Star Wars fan, is a left-hander, I'll have to let him know, um... Uh, uh, so my my uh, best and oldest childhood friend, um, and uh, we, we you know we just kind of every once in a while chat on Facebook whatever. But uh, and of course uh, Joe, uh, you know you're you're no stranger to the Star Wars franchise and the talents of Mark Hamill. So uh, I'm sure you're uh, going to be happy to to discuss uh, this living legend. Absolutely. In fact, I. My, my memory of the very first Star Wars I saw at the shore at Wildwood mm -hmm. when I was severely burned. <laughs> oh, God. Is that after that fireworks thing that you were talking about with your uncle or whatever? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I was sunburned. I mean, oh, I spent the oh, day in the oh okay. And yeah, I okay. was suffering. And I'll never forget, we all went to Star Wars to get into the air conditioning. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, very good. We didn't even know what it was about. It was so great. It was like a discovery by accident, you know. Am I am I wrong in thinking that there was some story about fireworks with your uncle or lightning or something? Not fight, we're lightning. I lightning. Was by lightning. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll we'll save that for another day. Uh, oh yeah, but, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, because that was that was kind of awful. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, severely sunburned. Severely sunburned. Oh, well, terrible. yeah. Well, I remember, Michelle, my experience. I know you, unfortunately, Jedi was the first one you saw in the theater, and it was sullied, unfortunately, by, yes. sullied by Ewoks, and I understand your disappointment there. Um, but the uh, I got to see Star Wars in uh, the theater in Columbiana, Ohio, when it first came out when I was a kid, and I was so excited through that whole movie. And then when it got to the end, when um, uh, you know Darth Vader was in his Tie Fighter, kind of spinning out of control at the end of the movie, or, or flying, you know, flying away to escape after the Death Star exploded, whatever. Yeah. Um, I was, I remember saying, "Go fly!" I said, uh, "Go fly to your mommy, Darth Vader." <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines, you know. I was just like, "Yeah." Yeah, get out of here, Darth Vader. Shut up, you jerk. You know, uh, but uh, no, I remember saying, you know, go home to your mommy. Um, and um, so, yeah, so that's my earliest uh, Star Wars memory. But uh, Mark Hamill uh, shared some early memories about Star Wars. And, of course, uh, this was from uh, 2019, pretty recent, talking to Seth Meyers 
about it. It's kind of a long clip, but it's worth it. And then after this, we'll play uh, the the Muppet Show stuff uh, oh, from yes. Michelle. Yes. So uh, here we go. Uh, Mark Hamill with Seth Meyers in 2019. What was it like working with, again, because it was the a beginning for all of you, what was it like working with young Harrison Ford? Oh, my gosh. Well, the thing is, he walked on. George likes to cast people that are so close to what he wants, he doesn't have to really get in there and give you a lot of direction. Yeah. So Harrison walks in, and he's just too cool for school. <laughs> I mean, I just, instant idolization, you know. Carrie was funny and witty and adorable. Uh, and we just, it, we just immediately hit it off. It was, it, it was perfect. And Harrison had a really firm grasp, of, like the overview. I think he'd make a really good director if he weren't so lazy. But, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll edit that out later. <laughs> Oh, man. But, uh, for instance, we were doing the scene where it was right after we got out of the trash compactor. We hadn't filmed that scene yet. And I'm looking in continuity and I said, well, wait a second. This is right after we got out of the trash compactor. Shouldn't my hair be all wet and matted with schmutz all through it? And he turns to me and says, hey, kid, it ain't that kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs> If people are looking at your hair, we're all in big trouble. <laughs> and I thought, he's so... He's so right. I'm going to pause it right there because I was looking at his hair because I wore my hair like uh, uh, Luke Skywalker for many, many years when I was a little kid. So I got pictures to prove it. But anyway. Oh, right. okay. And next time I saw him, he said, hey. I don't sound anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but like I say, I mean, you'd have these moments of self-awareness where, where you're standing in the cockpit waiting between, because once the squibs go off, you have to stand up there. Kids, if you could stay up instead of coming down, they're going to rewire to do another take. And I'd have this moment of self-awareness. To my right is one of the most venerated actors of the 20th century, Sir Alec Guinness. <laughs> and to my left is an eight-foot guy in a dog costume wearing headphones. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with this picture? Well, the crazy thing now is obviously, you know, it's part of, uh, you know, our lexicon to say things right. like lightsaber and Death right, Star, right, but when right. you read the script, did it all seem so absurd before we knew what it was going to look like? Well, what's amazing to me is that I was just overwhelmed because I got the part without having read the script. I just did a screen test. So I didn't know what the style was or whether it's a send-up like Mel Brooks or what. And then when I read it, it, it just hit me. I said, this is more like Wizard of Oz yeah. than traditional science fiction. Because, I mean, tw uh, 2001 is a stone-cold classic. A laugh riot, it ain't. <laughs> right. And this one was so funny. Yeah. I mean, it was so on a human level. I mean, we risk our lives to rescue the princess. She takes a look at what we came in and says, you came in that? I mean, who says things like that? <laughs> yeah. and, and robots arguing over yes. whose fault it is. I mean, I knew I was a straight man. I thought, oh, every part is funnier than mine. But <laughs> it gives, a, a, you know, if you appreciate comedy, you realize what Bud Abbott is doing for Lou Costello. Yeah. You know, so, you know, when you say to three people, you know, that little friend of yours is going to get me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> oh, he excels at that stuff. <laughs> well, you're, you know, yeah, for him to knock it out of the park. But I leave it to George Lucas to write a script where the robots get better lines than me. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Abbott and Costello, last uh, Saturday, Sven, uh, Sven Gulli was. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, another Abbott and Costello meet, uh, was it? Frankenstein? Yeah. 
Yeah, but even though Dracula and the Wolfman played a much bigger part in that than Frankenstein. Right, right. So. And Frankenstein is not even the name of the monster. Come on, it's the monster. It's oh, never Frankenstein. Come we let on. That, we let that slide. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I will not let that slide. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I hope I never meet a Dracula. The Dracula. A Dracula. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm messing with you. So anyway, uh, so yeah, so I, I thought that was a really funny interview. I mean, you know, Miles, uh, you know, him talking about playing the straight man in in that franchise. That's that's pretty spot on, right? Yeah, he. That's uh, that's true. I mean, Star Wars was just a revolutionary movie. It. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it really changed the, uh, the 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 whole social landscape. Yeah, and uh, you know what I found fascinating, and even though Michelle, the, you know, it was your first experience. Uh, well, actually, no, we'll, we'll get let's get to the Muppet Show clip because this kind of is is the uh, a little precursor to his his uh, voice acting stuff as well. Um, it, although he did do a fair amount of voice acting. Uh, way back, it, 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 there was an animated cartoon uh, based on the I Dream of Genie series, where or, or no 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 or oh, shit was it I Dream of Genie or Bewitched one of the other, but basically he played um, you know um, the Larry Hagman character on the I Dream right. of Genie in the cartoon, so he he was doing voice jobs way back in the day. And, um, uh, but in, in, I think he'll talk about that in the clip I have from him later. But, uh, what was interesting though, is it, you, you decided to, uh, uh, get, grab some clips from his appearance on the Muppet show, which right. ir- uh, ironically revealed the look of Luke Skywalker in the tan uniform. The, I guess the Bespin uniform is what you'd call it. Um, it, uh, from, uh, Empire Strikes Back before, anybody had seen it yeah i want to go away from the horror but this is this is one of the mark hamill um uh uh uh, guest shots that i love the most so oh it's it's super fun super funny so yeah so this is his uh uh the the first clip from him on on the muppet show the intro very very fun stuff angus mcgonagall 15 seconds to curtain, Mr. McGonagall. Yes, sir, little buddy, I'm right in the game. Oh, look, it's Luke Skywalker and C-3PO and R2-D2 from Star Wars. Oh, they'd make much better guests than Mr. McGonagall. Uh, You're going to have to uh, leave. Just Sorry. a minute, young Come on, sir. let's go. Excuse me, Master Luke, but what is this strange world we've come to? Beats me, 3PO. Seems we've landed on some sort of comedy variety show planet. (laughs) Some kind of comedy variety show planet. (laughs) That's hysterical. But yeah, the whole uh, Muppet Show episode was amazing because I had not... I missed that. I got to see it in the post-production, yes. Yeah, but, yeah after um, the fact, right? Yeah, because my parents really screwed me over as far as the whole Star Wars thing is. But 
I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and there you you have some uh, nice quick uh, one-liners uh, or short clips from that oh, yeah. uh, Muppet episode as well, uh, which yeah, I, I was so great variety show. I yep. was so tempted to play this earlier, uh, uh, segueing out of a break, but I saved it. So here we go. Hi, Fuzzy. Oh wow! Hey, you know what? You get to be the guest on this very show, right, Kermit? Oh well, uh, maybe. Uh, what do you do, Mark? Oh, uh, well, you know, I've been uh, known to do impressions. Mm-hmm. Who do you do? Oh, shit. I, I, I love it. That was, that. I, I think I got the clips backwards, uh, but I, I think this was the one. Well, that let works. Me, but let me, let me check this one, too, because it's a different time here. Uh. Hiya, Fuzzy. Oh. oh, no, no. Sorry. I, I, I goofed up and saved uh, the... Um, the third-rate variety show in, a, in the wrong fashion. I apologize for that. It's okay. So, but uh, anyway, so I, I grabbed a couple other clips um, for everybody, and yes, we are going into overtime. Thank you guys for hanging in there. Um, uh, this is a reward to everybody who uh, was listening earlier and when we had our snafu. Um, but uh, my, I. I even though, Michelle, the Ewoks kind of sullied uh, the Return of the Jedi for you and for me, because uh, I feel your pain there, um, there <laughs> there were uh, the, the growth of the character, Miles, uh, of Luke Skywalker through those three movies, for him, you know, he just became a badass by Return of the Absolutely. Jedi. Absolutely. And when that triumphant scene in the beginning of the movie, when he walks into Jabba's palace, in the dressed oh, yeah. all in black, it's like, wow. I mean, that to me, I remember that. I mean, that the whole movie is just burned in my brain from seeing it in the theater because I saw the first one. I did not see Empire in the theater. But I saw the the first and the third in the theater, and when I saw this, I was blown away. And and Joe, uh, you know what scene I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Actually, I was worried that he'd become more dark than he was. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so essentially, this was the rescue mission to retrieve Han Solo from uh, in frozen in carbonite uh, from the clutches of Jabba the Jabba D. Hut. Um, uh, no relation to Rush Limbaugh. Um, but um, uh, sorry. Uh, but yeah, so great scene and uh, some real intensity from Mark Hamill. I must speak with Java. You will take me to Java now. You serve your master well. And you will be rewarded. That score. At last, John Master Williams. Luke's come to rescue me. Master. Whoa. 
There were no pace Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight. The Master Wong Rikachunke! I must be allowed to speak. Jedi mode speak and go eat. You will bring Captain Solo and the Wookiee to me. Nevertheless, I'm taking Captain Solo and his friends. You can either profit by this, or be destroyed. It's your choice, but I warn you not to underestimate my power. <sighs> Oof, not before you get dropped into a cage and have to fight a... Miles, quick. Moochie. A Moochie? Moochie is the name of the Rancor. Rancor. Oh, he has a name? Him. The Rancor has a name? Yes, yeah. he does. This yeah, we idea. just watched uh, the Bad Batch. Yeah, I had no idea. Wow, it, 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 that's that's impressive. So, uh, but no, that that's that was so cool. That was such badassery from Luke Skywalker walking in the whole the whole Jabba's barge thing from beginning to end. I mean, that honest to God, that could have been the whole movie, and I would have been happy. But obviously, there were other bigger there were bigger fish to fry. Uh, but you know, you know, because obviously there was a new Death Star being built. Hello, uh, <laughs> and uh, but no, that was that was pretty intense. So, Joe, you remember that that sequence there, right? Oh yes, 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 and yeah. uh, and the battle down in the cage. Oh yeah, that was uh, all of it. And then after that, it was just boom, 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 boom. You know, you've got blind hand solo. They're out on the barge. They're like, walk the plank, go into the Sarlacc pit. R2-D2's waiting at the wings. Luke winks at him or waves at him or whatever. Shoots the lightsaber out and goes crazy. <laughs> I mean, that just all of that was Boba so Fett impressive. Gets, Boba Fett gets knocked down into the Rancor palette, uh, Rancor's mouth. Sarlacc And pit. that leads to a whole other weight. Of uh, yeah, the Sarlacc thing leads to a whole other bit of fanfic. Yeah, and it does. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> it has been retconned as well that he did not die in the Sarlacc pit. Yeah, because it's, not, we, it's not canon. Yeah, so it's so not that, canon. Yep. that that is good. So check out the Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett coming up on Disney Plus too. Um, but, uh, all right. So, uh, truck and run along. Cause I got two more clips that I have to play for you guys. Um, uh, okay. actually I, I can skip the next one. Uh, I can just mention it briefly. It was when Luke pulled the mask off of Darth Vader, uh, controversial to a certain degree because, uh, David Prowse was not given that, uh, that role. And there, there's actually a documentary about that that I recommend you guys watch. Um, I don't know the name right off the top of my head, but um, David but Prowse... But was there from the beginning, right? Yeah, David Prowse was the guy beneath the mask uh, for the entire series, and then when he's dying, they take the mask off, and they're like, ah, we want a different actor for it. Um, but Oh, hell no. Don't do that. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. So, so I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll forgo that. And uh, just for our good friend Adam Hebert, since he's been doing such a magnanimous job on um, the, uh, his mythical moments, here is a wonderful two-and-a-half-minute clip from Rotten Tomatoes, Mark Hamill on playing the Joker. And uh, what, uh, yes. what a wonderful, uh, you know... Just weird evolution of his career, uh, you know. Because I love he, that character. I do too, it's but it, it's just so cool that you know one of the greatest heroes of our generation uh, became one of the greatest villains of our generation in a different form of media, and um, and to me, you know, he he is he's the best Joker ever uh, in my book. Yep. And uh, I know Adam agrees too, but yeah. So Joe, if you're not familiar, Mark Hamill has been the voice of the Joker on. Uh, it was the voice of the Joker on Batman the Animated Series and in Batman Beyond, and basically a lot of different projects where Kevin Conroy was the voice of Batman. Mark Hamill was always soon to follow because he loved working with him so much, which he'll mention in this. Um, and you'll get to hear a little bit of, of the Joker as well, but I'm sure you have Joe. Are, are you slightly familiar with, with him as the Joker? No, not at all. Oh, not okay. All. Well, here's one to grow on for you. Check it out. There you go. <laughs> I really have to congratulate myself on this one. The one that I was most intimidated by was the Joker because I auditioned thinking there's no way they could handle the backlash of Luke Skywalker being this icon of villainy. And of course, your friends always point out, your actor friends said, dude, I wouldn't want to follow Jack Nicholson in anything. I went, oh no, I forgot about that. Oh, there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. <laughs> but I thought the only way I can do this is do my version. And it's based on the script that they gave me and the one drawing of him. He seemed to be all teeth, all teeth. He reminded me of the, the Blue Meanies in, in Yellow Submarine. You draw from all different elements, because I was doing Claude Rains from The Invisible Man. Crazy! You think I'm crazy? I'll show you who's crazy! <laughs> I had so much fun doing that character, because he's insane. And if you're insane, you're unpredictable. And if you're unpredictable, you're never boring. And he had that incredible laugh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Where did that come from? So I had quite an arsenal of laughs in my repertoire already. I said to the producers, I don't want him to have just one laugh. I think his laugh should be like the colors on a, a palette where it reflects his mood. <laughs> and I remember reading an interview with Frank Gorshin where he talked about, it's not that the Riddler laughs, it's what he laughs at that defines who he is. So his Riddler is like one of my favorite comic book villains of all time. I love Frank Gorshin. Where is he? He's never been this late before. The line that really struck me is in The Man Who Killed Batman. Matt Frewer plays this two-bit crook who accidentally kills Batman. Everyone believes he's dead. I have this terrible feeling he's really not coming. Joker loses the will to live. He, what, his raison d'etre is gone. And he says, without Batman, crime has no punchline. <laughs> I thought, wow. 
crime has no punchline like it needs one but yeah. batman he needs batman and i had my favorite batman kevin conroy i am batman when they offer me roles now i said is kevin doing it they said yeah he's in i said oh then i'm in i don't even have to read the script if kevin's doing it i'll do it uh, how great is that i mean that that is such a testament to how voice actors uh, you know, work and have respect for, you know, the, the, the people they work with. Um, and, you know, yeah. if Kevin Con- Conroy's in, I don't even have to read the script. I'm in. I'm there. So that's pretty well, bad. Conroy, Conroy is a voice and he mm-hmm. he's in the genre and he's like, he's like the apex. And if you know he's in there, you want to be in that film. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, well, I'll tell you what, um, that's, uh, we're going to have to, uh, uh, wrap the show. Um, even though, uh, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys, uh, hanging in there for a little bit longer tonight, but yeah, you know, we've, uh, you know, uh, uh, we've done 24 episodes so far and, we're thinking about. Uh, I will. I will tease this. I'm thinking. Uh, I, uh, we're definitely making some changes to Radio for Humans soon. Um, you know, and it's all positive, so I don't want anybody anybody to be freaked out. We've already discussed it here. I needed to discuss it with some other folks. Uh, but yeah, we're uh, we're kind of moving onward and upward for where we are as a network and everything and don't worry adam i'll talk to you soon you're you're you you have job security you're okay um uh so it's nothing like that uh but yeah so uh, we're gonna make some changes soon but uh you know it they'll be gradual and uh going into 2022 will uh uh be changing a few things uh for the better for the better for everybody um but yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up right now. I'm going to start our end credits on the program. And uh, Joe, what do you have for us on the way out? Uh, what's coming up on the Tim Cormel show this Sunday? Well, we're taking a week off this week. so Oh, okay. We'll probably be uh, doing a best of the clown car or something. Uh, but for you people that hate black and white music, uh, movies, uh, don't watch Fanguli because there's a terrible movie on. It's the original Frankenstein. Oh, oh yeah, that's don't right. watch that. You yeah, they're doing, that. All, they're doing, they're that. doing uh, a Frankenfest, right? Is that what they're calling it? Frankenfest? October. Uh, yeah, Franken... Franktober. Frank, yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> Franktober. Oh, something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's, it's an Oktoberfest Frankenfest. Yes. So excited about that. So yes, and excited he, about that. He led off with uh, Abbott of Costello meets Frankenstein and the original. He's alive. He's alive. Yeah. He's alive. So. <laughs> yes. Don't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. uh, it's, it's in black and it's in black and white. You don't want. It. Yeah. No. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. Yeah. What a way to spend a Saturday night. Oh yeah! Very nice. <laughs> Pop that you popcorn, know. kids. I'll be there. Pop and, the popcorn. Yeah, Michelle, what do you got on the way out? Okay, next week we're going to be doing Made Monsters, and I'm not just talking Made Monsters. We're also talking Creature of the Black Lagoon. So nice. be there or be square. Oh, I'm so in on this. We're going to have a little powwow. This is going to be exciting. 
And yeah. uh, uh, Miles, uh, thank you once again for an uh, awesome little lesson in uh, some uh, story of true bravery from World War II. I appreciate that. Yes, uh, thank you. I, I enjoyed telling that story. It, uh, I, I think it's a story that needed to be told. And uh, anything on deck for next week or uh, any final words? So, yeah, the 442 fought for a country that kind of treated it, didn't treat it that well. But my, my next story is about uh, fighting forces that lost their country. Ooh, um, okay. Specifically, um, the Polish Air Force. All right, we will find out about that next week and much more. For right now, that's all we got. It came from Cleveland, and I'm still in Cleveland, but got to wrap things up. We'll see everybody next week. Night now. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive.